optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I ask you a personal question? Now would have seen the perfect time. What if I did the opposite? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks has become the go-to cloud accounting software for literally millions of small business owners who found a faster, more efficient, and much less stressful way to deal with their numbers. And ultimately, this helps you to focus on what you are best at. It is used by many of the fastest-growing startups I've invested in or advise, and it's equally used by many of the best freelancers I work with on a daily or weekly basis. It is one of the easiest ways to send invoices, get paid, track your time, and track your clients. If you're self-employed and managing business sometimes means wrestling with spreadsheets, crumpled receipts, and other scattered pieces, FreshBooks can really help. FreshBooks allows you to do many, many different things very easily. Preparing and sending a polished branded invoice takes about 30 seconds. You can set yourself up to receive online payments from your clients in about two clicks, which on average will get you paid twice as fast. Their new proposals feature means you can include a project summary and timeline as part of your estimate. There are many, many other things. Tracking your time. The quick proposals that I mentioned, formatting free, super easy, late payment reminders so you don't have to chase people, automated expenses, sharing files and messages with your clients, award-winning customer service. They are extremely responsive, the interface is super intuitive, and there's almost no learning curve. So, in short, it's easy, it saves you time. And right now, FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for all of my listeners. To claim yours, check it out. Go to freshbooks.com forward slash Tim and enter Tim Ferris in the how did you hear about us section. And that is funky spell T-I-M-F-E-R-R-I-S-S. So again, go to freshbooks.com forward slash Tim and enter Tim Ferris in the how did you hear about us section. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible provides an unbeatable selection of audiobooks, including bestsellers, how-to, mysteries, thrillers, memoirs, and more. I've used Audible for many years, and I have a few audiobooks to recommend right off the bat. Number one, Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. So listen to the book that caught the attention of Spielberg enough to get made into a major film. The writing is fantastic. The Tao Seneca by Seneca the Younger. This is a collection of letters, my favorite compilation of letters of all time that I've recommended the most of all the books I've ever read. And The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman. This is the fiction book that I use to convert nonfiction purists into fiction lovers. I like the version that Neil reads himself, but that's just me. He has a hypnotic voice. I also recently enjoyed Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg, which was recommended to me by bestselling author Neil Strauss. Make sure to get the audiobook version, and you will recognize it by the peace sign on the cover. And as an Audible subscriber, you can choose three titles every month, one audiobook and two Audible originals you can't hear anywhere else. And there's some really, really cool stuff among the Audible originals. You can listen on any device, anytime, anywhere, at home, at the gym, while you're cooking, on your commute, or wherever. I often listen to audiobooks when I'm walking my pooch, or on the way to the gym, so on and so forth. You'll also enjoy easy audiobook exchanges. In other words, if you don't like what you buy, and you're like, ah, I have buyer's remorse, you can swap it. Rollover credits, 
So if you don't use credits in a given month, they roll over into the next. And an audiobook library you keep forever, even if you cancel. This last part is important. Unlike, say, a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you own your books, even if you cancel your membership. And right now, for a limited time, you can get three months of Audible for just six ninety five a month. That's $6.95 a month. And that is also more than half off the regular price. So give yourself the gift of listening. And while you're at it, think about giving the gift of Audible to someone on your list. For more, go to audible.com forward slash Tim, T-I-M that is, audible.com forward slash Tim, or text Tim, T-I-M, to 500-500. Why, hello, boys and girls. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where it is my job each and every episode, this one included, to interview and dissect world-class performers of all different types, business, sports, chess, entertainment, music, sometimes folks who span many multiple disciplines, and this is one of those cases, in my mind at least. We have Dave Elich sitting across from me. Dave, how are you? I'm great, man. Happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) On Instagram and Twitter and elsewhere, at Dave Elich, E-L-I-T-C-H, DaveElich.com. Instagram would be probably first choice for checking him out. And I'll read the bio And then I have all sorts of questions about the bio. But I think before I get into that, it's helpful to perhaps as context for some folks mention what I said to my girlfriend last night, who asked me fairly, who is Dave? Why is he in the house? (laughs) Not in an accusatory way, more out of curiosity. And you were helping to set up my first ever drum kit after many, many misfires, which we won't get into right now. <laughs> there are a lot of people very, very high on drugs who will volunteer to help you assemble kits. Turns out they don't follow the directions very well. And uh, I wanted her to hear you play, just to tool around, after we had consumed many pounds of pork and biscuits and yes. all sorts of other Texan health food. Yes. And she had asked me at some point the day before... Uh, mostly is a hypothetical question, but also she was very curious. I wonder who Annie goes to for relationship advice. And Annie, in this case, is a very well-known relationship coach slash therapist. Like, mm-hmm. Who does the relationship coach right. go to for relationship advice? Mm-hmm. And I use that as a bridge to say, well, many of the musicians you think of, many of the best drummers you might see on stage go to Dave. Mm-hmm. as sort of the drumming whisperer slash like <laughs> mechanic fixer, Yes, uh, among many other things. So let's jump into the bio. But for those people who are listening and are, who are thinking to themselves, well, I really don't know anything about drumming. I really don't know anything about music. This is an audio-only format. I'm not going to be able to watch uh, Dave smashing on his kit. We are going to jump across all sorts of different topics, so fear not. But let's, let's get into... The, the basic bio. So Dave Elich mm-hmm. first garnered attention with his band Daughters of Mara's debut album, I Am Destroyer, in 2007. Very appropriate uh, debut album name for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. But his time touring with the American progressive rock band The Mars Volta in 2009-2010 is what really put him on the map and certainly put you on my map, mm-hmm. which we can get to. He has since worked with Miley Cyrus, Justin Timberlake, M83, The 1975, Juliette Lewis, Big Black Delta, and many, many others. He conducts master class lectures worldwide and in fact you are going to be conducting a master class tomorrow yep here in austin texas which is exciting Mm -hmm. and is a regular in the la session scene and uh, i want to come back to a bunch of vocab here (laughs) that we can dissect (laughs) including performing on film scores 
for many major motion pictures, and I have questions about that. As an educator for the last 20 years, which for people who have listened to this podcast for a while, is part of what makes you so interesting to me, is not just the ability to perform, but the ability to transmit and to break down and to convey and to demystify. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's back to the sentence. As an educator for the last 20 years, Dave has developed a reputation as the technique body mechanic specialist who has helped many of the world's top players and educators overcome physical and mental plateaus at his private studio in Los Angeles. And your brand new online course, Getting Out of Your Own Way, which is perhaps the best title of any course I've ever encountered, is <laughs> available at DaveElich.com. I have checked it out. It is fucking awesome. Thank you. And uh, I have spent a lot of time thinking about teaching. I've spent a lot of time thinking about learning and I'm by no means a musician, but have also digested a fair amount of material related to drumming and cannot recommend it. Thanks. Highly enough. I thought we could start with your t-shirt that you're wearing right now. (laughs) And it's a t-shirt that I liked so much at one point when we hung out in LA and smashed on some drums Mm -hmm. and then ate a bunch of Himalayan yak. If I remember correctly, Yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I asked you where I could get one of these shirts. Yep. Uh, so could you describe for people what you're wearing at the moment and why? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm wearing one of my t-shirts that I, you know, make and are available on my website that, uh, <laughs> that say slow down on the front and do it again on the back. And it came from me having to say that over and over and over again to people as I was teaching them. So I just got tired of yelling at people and saying the same shit over and over again. <laughs> so I just point at my shirt now and I just go, come on, slow it down. Because so many people, uh, it, it, it's not about what you're trying to learn as much as it is about how you approach learning it which is obviously a universal concept. And so many people try to just rush through things so quickly. And especially when you're doing something that's so physically and mentally demanding as, as drumming, if you don't approach it slowly, your brain has no idea what your body's doing. So all these people try and rush through something and, and they physiologically have no idea what's going on. Um, and also do it again because the sheer amount of repetition you have to do to really plug in that muscle memory. Um, and, and it's fun. I made it just kind of as a joke kind of, you know, and then people would come up to me on the street and be like, Oh, I'd love that shirt because people get whatever sort of meaning they want. It's the Rorschach. Inkblot test. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. People and people love it and they get whatever they want out of it. And, and uh, it can mean all sorts of different things, you know? <laughs> and, uh, this I think also highlights for me a difference between a really critical difference in learning anything, uh, or, or several critical differences. One is developing a skill versus demonstrating mm-hmm. the skill. And, mm-hmm. and you could, you could apply that to say strength development versus display, mm-hmm. right? Competing in say powerlifting versus training for powerlifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this case, I think maybe a good contrast that comes to mind would be last night sitting down at this electronic drum kit, Mm -hmm. my first kit of, of that type that I've ever used and playing with the basic posture and body mechanics. And so you would 
ask me to relinquish control of my arm and provide dead weight and to do the same with my leg to try to ensure that, for instance, when using the, and I never know if I should call it a kick or a bass or same thing. something else, kick or bass drum or pedal rather, that I would be using my hip mm-hmm. as opposed to getting wickety whack with my ankle yes. or other articulation. Mm-hmm. Right? And in aiming to do that, ensuring that I'm not leaning back like I'm in an easy rider (laughs) because that creates all sorts of instability. Uh And it was incredible to me, but not surprising given my time with you that within about 120 seconds, you took one of my greatest sources of discomfort sitting at any kit, which was feeling like I had to be kind of balanced on my left ass cheek Mm -hmm. to make the bass pedal work properly. Yeah. And you remove that, so now I could have a little bit of anterior pelvic tilt. And for people who are wondering what that means, imagine your hips are a glass of wine. If you pour wine out the front, that's anterior pelvic tilt. Posterior pelvic tilt would be pouring wine out the back. And so having a little bit of tilt forward so that I can feel my sits bones Mm -hmm. on the stool, which you also helped me to do by taking a weight plate, because it was in the garage, and the gym is also there, and putting it on top of it. So you diagnose that very quickly, and then we practice a very slow, basic sort of ACDC. Yeah. Rock. Money beat. Money beat. The money beat. Yeah, yeah. And in doing that, we were able to focus on some really fundamental grips and so on in a very slow fashion. But the video that introduced you to me has some a number, it's, it turns out, of stories associated with it that I hadn't heard. Mm-hmm. It seems like a lot of people have come to find you through this video, so I'd love to tell people about it. And I think it came about because I was on Twitter at God knows what <laughs> unholy hour like, and was thinking about drumming, and I've always been fascinated by drumming. So I asked something along the lines of, like, who is a beast drummer who is also a good teacher? Uh-huh. And somebody threw a link up to this video. Mm-hmm. What is the video? So the video is me playing with the Mars Volta at a big day out festival in Sydney, Australia, in 2010, early 2010. And... I would videotape all of the shows that we played. I'd set up a little camera behind me because when you're in the heat of battle, you know, as you could say, you have no idea how it's actually coming across. So if I backtrack a little bit with this situation and a lot of situations that I get called for, I've sort of developed this reputation as a bit of a mercenary in that like, when someone breaks their arm or someone gets fired or someone needs someone to do a tour, like last minute, um, no rehearsals, little rehearsal, whatever they call me and I have to learn everything last minute. And it's, it's funny. I've been the cleaner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, so, you know, with, with, with the Mars Volta, with Miley Cyrus, with 1975, with M83, you walk into a room, you go, nice to meet you guys. And uh, you might run through the set once, and then you're playing in front of 15, 20, 30,000 people. And it's a very unique situation to, to be in. The amount of pressure uh, is unbelievable. Because as a drummer, if you drop the ball, the whole show collapses in on top of you. It's not like, you know, guitar where you can just like, whoops, flub that. And then you can just kind of keep playing. Do it twice. You're playing jazz. (laughs) (laughs) 
exactly. Yeah, with drumming, if you drop the ball, like the whole show caves in on you. So, so the Mars Volta was, you know, the first big situation that I, that I was in like that. I got that gig when I was 25. They called hundreds of people to do it. People are sending in video auditions and all kinds of stuff. And uh, when they asked me to do it, I, uh, I said, yeah, sure. You know, in your head, it's one of them. I'm sure you've had this experience before. They're like, great. This sounds great. Do you want to do it? And in my head, I'm like, no, 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 no. And then I was just like, yes, yes, just comes out of your mouth. And I feel like every important life decision I've ever made that happens. Um, and it's super important to just do it. Um, no matter how grow wings on the way down. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And, uh, so, so I, so I flew to Europe, met the band. We ran through the two and a half hour set twice and then we're on tour. And this is like, for people who aren't familiar with the band, it's extremely complex music. Lots of like Omar, the guitar player, lots of hand signals and eyebrows and, and, and you know, cues. And you oh, have I didn't to, realize that. Yeah. You have so to, he's like a major league baseball catcher. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and you know, there's a long drum solo every night. Uh, so there's, you have to really be on, on point. So I would set up a camera behind me every night to just be like, I need to know what this actually sounds like. Because in, in the heat of the moment, you could think you're killing it. And then you watch a video and you're like, whoops. Or the opposite's also true always. I could be like, oh, I really, really, you know, that, doesn't, that didn't sound good at all. And then I watch the video. And I'm like, oh, that was actually okay. Um, so that level of cognitive disconnect is in that scenario is huge. So I would go back to my hotel room after the show and watch the video and you know take mental notes about things that worked and things that didn't work. And for me, it's always been very important to put on a visual show. I, 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 there's nothing worse than going to see a show and just watching someone looks like they're doing their taxes. <laughs> Why do you think this particular video, and we'll put it in the show notes, so for people who want to see it, you can just go to tim.blog forward slash podcast, and it'll be right in the show notes, so you can find the link. But if, if people wanted to Google this, is there anything in particular they should search for? You just type in Dave Elich drum cam, or just Dave Elich, and it's going to pop up at the yeah, top it's, somewhere. It's, very, it's, it's one of the very first videos. Yeah. Why do you think this video, and it's related to where you were going, I think, yeah. well, why do you think this video caught on in the way that it did? Because I'm going ape shit. Fucking berserk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was standing up, kicking stuff over, you know, like just going nuts. Yeah. Like, I think it's really important to put on a show so people are like, holy shit. <laughs> like, what is going This is insane. Yeah. You know? And uh, so, yeah, I'm standing up and hitting super hard. And it's it's visually entertaining. But the most important part of that is the playing has to be happening. If you, you know, go nuts and then you screw something up, there's no point. Yeah. So the playing has to be on point and then I'm going to stand up and kick something over and you know, <laughs> before you had your first whether it's your first performance with mm-hmm. the Mars Volta. Mm-hmm. So you've gone through the set twice. Yeah. You're in Europe. Yeah. Wherever you are in in, yeah. in the world. Yeah. What is what is your self-talk or your prep before going out on stage to play yeah. with this band? Yeah, so you'll be into this because there's a lot of note-taking. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm already into it. So this is something that I do with a lot of people that I work with, just showing them how to properly chart out a song. 
because so many people write out way too much nonsense and then it's way too much to, to navigate and learning music at the last minute and having to play it is, you know, that does happen, you know, quite a bit, um, whether it's like a coffee house or a huge show or whatever. So most people will write out everything and then they go to look at it and they have no idea what they can't read their handwriting. And so meaning like what I do with people is uh, it's just the roadmap. You're not writing out notation. You're not writing out. It's just like intro eight bars first, 16 bars chorus 16. It's just that that's it. Uh, like, and I might say where my right hand is ride symbol, crash, hi hat, but it's very minimalistic. And so I made those charts for all the songs and I would, I would go through, it's all about how you approach this stuff, right? So a lot of people would go, I'm going to play through the set list, just bang, bang, bang down, down the line. But you're constantly distracted. You're constantly switching. The target's moving, so you can't get deep. So what I would... Why is the target moving? Because you're switching songs all the time. Mm. So what I would do is I would take the first song in the set list, and I would have my notes and the music, and I would play through it as many times as it took for me to be like, I know this really well, but the same thing on repeat. Most people would just go, I'm just going to go through the set. And then it's now like, do the, do the, by the songs changing, you mean that show to show or no, no, no. I mean like within the set list itself. So someone would play like the first song and then they, then the second song and then the third song all in a row. Right. And then they can't remember anything because they're working on all the songs at the same time. It's, it's linear. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's also just because we've both had a fair amount of caffeine. <laughs> so I feel like we can just make use of that caffeine now. <laughs> Uh, this is also a reason why certain mnemonic devices work better than others. For instance, if you use what is sometimes referred to as a memory palace, mm. uh, in which this is, has been used for thousands of years, Cicero used it for memorizing speeches, among other things, where you could take, this is also how a lot of memory competitors memorize shuffled decks of cards, mm -hmm. is they will memorize say pairs of cards as interacting images and place them along a familiar route, mm. right? So walking from the, their front door to the grocery store or something mm. like that. But one of the challenges with that is if you want to get to the 12th item and recall that 12th item, you have to run through the list. And similarly, yes. if, if you're only memorizing or getting familiar with a playlist yep. or a set, yep from one to 12 or whatever the number is. Yep. And then all of a sudden I'm just imagining like the lead singers like, fuck it. Yep. I'm feeling we should just go to five. And you're like, I'm uh, not ready for five. Totally. That's a very real thing. And that's a real thing. Also when people are doing method book work, like out of a drum book, let's say like I might have them learn the entire page. This happens all the time. And I'm like, cool. Let me hear you start from the end. Yeah. And they're like, uh, so that, 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 actually is a very important point and that comes later in the process mm -hmm. at the end of the process so i will just go through one song over and over and over and over and over again until i know it really well and this is a this is huge practicing not in regards to time but in regards to goals so the amount of people who go to music school and they go yeah i practice eight hours a day like blah, you know 
it's not about how much time it's about what you're getting done and having specific goals and, and, and writing that down and go, I need to get this from here to here. Once I get that done, I'm done. Check moving on. A lot of people go, I need to work on this thing for an hour. That doesn't mean anything. It's not a tangible goal. An hour for you and an hour for me are completely different. One, one person could get it in 20 minutes. Another person takes two hours. So, and it's unbelievable how everyone structures things in terms of time. How do you know when you, when you have a song? It's a good question. I don't know if I can put that into words. What does it feel like? It feels like you've given a lot of talks, right? You rehearse it enough and you're like, yeah, I don't need these notes. I know you know it in your core. Yeah, it, it's it's like when you memorize your times tables or whatever. It's that yeah. same type of thing. You're not. You don't have to like gear up to get it going. Someone could like slap you in the face to wake you up and be like, "Do this." Yeah, and it would just come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's in your bones. Yeah, and I prepare in that regard like an insane amount, like a ridiculous amount. So I'll play the song. I don't know, like five or ten times with my notes. And then I'm starting like, okay, I think I, I think I got it now. Then I'll put my notes away and just play. No, sorry. Then I'll play with just the notes, no music. And then I'll play. As you're saying, so you're playing, you're accompanying the music first with your notes. Yes. And then when I get comfortable, the next step, turn off the music and just play with the notes. And then the next step is music, no notes. And then the final step is just a click track, nothing else. So just a metronome. Click track metronome. Yeah. So I'm hearing nothing. And I have to know it so well that I can get through the whole song in my head hearing everything. And it's, that's an insane amount of work. But the deal is, is when you get on stage and there's 30,000 people screaming and like with Miley, like people throwing bras and underwear at me, <laughs> <laughs> like you're, you're, you're like better than batteries and tomatoes, I guess, <laughs> or beer or beer bottles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like at that moment, you have to know everything so well that that's not going to phase you. So <clears throat> it takes a long time and I'm in there for 10 or 12 hours at the beginning. But, but that type of preparation is, is huge. And what's funny is when I went to Amsterdam to rehearse the set with them, I set up an extra floor Tom on my left side, which you normally wouldn't do that. They're on your right side. Mm -hmm. And were you gonna say something? No, no, no. I was just going to, I was, I was going to say for, maybe you could just explain what a floor Tom is. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so Tom's, uh, yeah. Interesting. It's explaining this like, yeah. So, um, so, um, man, how would you explain this to a layout? I mean, I, I, I'm going to do a poor job. Yeah. Great. I'll take a, (laughs) I I will do a terrible job, but, uh, it's easy for me to come at this with beginner's eyes because I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, so if, if people hear the kind of like snap of a, like, like the, generally please feel free to call bullshit on any of this no, no, you're good. like that you're going to be hearing say a snare drum mm-hmm. right and when when you look at drummers and they have their hands seemingly crossed mm-hmm. they're hitting the hi-hat mm-hmm. and then they're hitting the snare with the other hand and that's mm-hmm. part of the lifeblood of any kind of like yeah. rock beat right and the like kick that, and the kick drum and with the their kick. Foot. so it's like yeah yeah exactly that is the hi-hat and the snare yeah and then if you if you were to hear a drummer say travel left to right, assuming they're right-handed mm-hmm. like dig a 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 dig
is very often going to be a floor tom. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I couldn't have done that better so, myself. you are right-handed. Yes. So and, you have a rack tom up top straight yep. in front of you, which is going to be the higher pitch. Like, do-do-do. And then you go down further, and the, you get bigger drums, which are sitting on the floor. Yep. Floor toms, right? Yep. So having those on the left is right. not... Not normal. Not normal. Yep. So why, why did you do that? So I put it on my left so I could put my notes ah. on, on the left. And no one, I thought, didn't think anyone would see him. And I go to the bathroom after after the first set, and I come back, it's all gone. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, uh... And the bass player's like, it's cool, man. You, you got it. It's all good. You don't, you don't need those. And I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, thanks, ba- bass player, who's done this set 400 <laughs> yeah, exactly. times. But <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's okay, great. <laughs> so I want to just uh, uh, note something for, for folks and I'm so glad we got into this because that particular way that you laid out your progression for practicing a song mm-hmm. is nearly identical to how a lot of the best public speakers also prepare their keynotes. Mm. And they will say, take a keynote. And I, I, I learned to do this as well, but I was borrowing from other people. And instead of doing, let's just say it's a for the sake of simplicity, a 60-minute keynote. Rather than trying to give the 60-minute keynote from start to finish, mm-hmm. they'll break it into, say, four pieces. Yep. Uh, or what they'll do, and this is something I start to model, is because the beginning and the ending is so important, mm-hmm. actually breaking out like the first five minutes and the last five minutes. So you have, say, five minutes. Let, let's just make it simple if it's a say a 40 minute talk to make the math a little easier, like first five minutes, then you have three 10 minute sections in the last five minutes mm-hmm. and to practice each one of those individually, as opposed to yes. in sequence. Yes. And initially not paying attention to time, uh, although having some rough idea of the total length and then recording, listening to it, making the sort of post game analysis edits necessary uh, and then also at a later point, I remember when I was, and, and I picked this up from someone as well, when I was practicing, you're talking about the, the bras and the panties and everything. <laughs> uh, when I was preparing for my, my Ted talk about a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. which was going to be opening session, main stage, mm-hmm. nervous as fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just as a, as a side note, I'm sure you have a million of these. So I'd love to hear some of these <laughs> war stories. Sure. There's this area uh, behind the stage at Ted, which is, it's called something hilarious, like the Zen room or the, the chill out room yeah. where the people who are on deck, like the three or four speakers are on deck mm-hmm. are meant to hang out there and they're little misters and like cold water uh-huh. and so on. And you walk in there and at least when I walked in there, it was some of the most polished speakers in the world basically freaking the fuck out. And, and I, I was like, I need to leave here now. This isn't helping. I need to leave right now. This is like, you know, being in the water with bear grills and all these survival experts and they're losing their shit because they're like great white sharks in the water. And you're like, I can't, this is not helpful. I need to not be here. And, but one of the things that I'd done in the last week or so of preparation was to load myself up on way too much caffeine, like, like three or four coffees before giving dress rehearsals to strangers at my friend's companies. I would have them call in people during lunch hour and I would give a rehearsal in front of people who really probably didn't particularly want to be there. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Not a super warm crowd. Sure. Who don't care about my feelings particularly. And you're all jacked. And I'm jacked (laughs) to try to simulate the adrenaline that I would feel 
That's when smart. I actually got out there. Yeah. Uh, so, in any case, I don't want to. I don't want to. Don't want to brain vomit on you too much. No, it's all good. Uh, That's I'll, what we're I'll here reser- for. Reserve some of my brain vomit for later. But <laughs> the the point being that that progression you use applies to so many things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> well, you know what? We're going we're gonna to come. You, you can see me fondling these, these fondlings is a strange word, but these gifts that, gifts, people, get your, get your mind out of the gutter uh, that, you, that you gave me, which I do want to talk about. Sure. So you've, you've followed this progression mm-hmm. song by song, mm-hmm. gone through the set twice. Yep hour before you get on stage mm-hmm. what does that hour look like uh for y- that for that particular like yeah mercenary yeah it, it's it's extremely stressful you're waking up in the middle of the night going huh, huh how does that bridge go like huh yeah. you know yeah. like freaking out uh because you have the weight of the world on your shoulders yeah. and uh it's extremely stressful and a lot of these situations it's funny i was thinking about how to sort of present this to the layman and it's like your first day on the job. It's some really, you got like a giant promotion or like you're at a new company, different, different title, different role. And you roll in and you meet everyone. You pick five random people out of the office and you say, great, you guys are going to go on stage in front of 30,000 people together. You, you just met or you're going to spend the next month in a bus together waking up next to each other. It's a very weird situation. And who knows how that's going to work out as far as personalities and everything. So yeah, but the, the hour before the show, I'm, I've done like the, the Sam Harris guided meditation. I've just been, I just go to an area by myself and sit down and breathe and just try and stay as relaxed as possible. This is the, uh, the 10 minute. Yeah. Or the, so for people who, who don't know, so Sam Harris, uh, neuroscience PhD, also very well-known author. I think it's just samharris.org, mm-hmm. uh, two R's, one S, has a number of really good guided meditations. So you, you will have done that. Yeah. Is and that I, the morning of? Is that right before? Both. It, if both. I'm feeling really anxious, I'll do it right before. Um, one of the things that took me years of touring to figure out is a lot of people will, will, you know, drumming is an incredibly physical instrument, especially with how hard I can hit at times. <laughs> um, and you have to really treat yourself like an athlete. And a lot of people will just sit there and, and, and warm, quote unquote, warm up like on a rubber pad and kind of gingerly hit it around for 10 or 15 minutes. And then they go out on stage and their, their feet are cold. So I started bringing a jump rope on tour with me. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God how did I not figure this out earlier? And so I skip rope for maybe 10 or 15 minutes and that gets the blood flowing. So when I walk out on stage, I feel like I'm three songs in already, which is a game changer physiologically. And so I'll do that kind of gets your head in the zone because, because skipping rope is the same. It's the same exact thing as playing a musical instrument in terms of focus. It's like a detached focus. If you think about what you're doing, you use a different part of your brain and neurologically, and you'll screw up whatever you're doing right. if it's a highly learned embedded task, right? So if you're skipping rope and you think about 
what you're doing, you'll hit your feet and screw it all up. If I'm playing a show, I have to either be totally zenned out, not thinking about anything at all, or I have to be like thinking about what I'm eating after, after the show or like doing laundry <laughs> or whatever. I can't think, oh, here comes this part or like right, right, left, left, I'll just all immediately bungle yeah. whatever I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So, but skipping rope, it gets my head in that, in that mindset. And, and it also gets me warmed up. So yeah, it's just a lot of pacing. Well, I don't drink coffee or Red Bulls or anything. Cause I know my heart rate's already going to be insane. So I try to actually not do that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Do you have anything that you, any particular rituals or things that you say to yourself before you go out? Or if you are alternatively, you, do you take either or both of these when you're talking to a professional who perhaps is really nervous about a tour they're about to mm-hmm. do or gigs that they're doing? What's your advice to them right before they go out? My advice is what I try to live by in that if you put the time in and you know the material, there's nothing to be nervous about because you know what you're doing. And as soon as you get on stage, after about five minutes and the adrenaline wears off, you should be comfortable. Cause you're like, I've put in so I couldn't have put more time in. Like I, I put the time in, I know what I'm doing. This is fine. What's really scary is when you don't have the time to put the work in, then that's freaky, <laughs> uh, which I try to never put myself in those situations. Um, but yeah, as long as you put the time in and when I'm working with someone, I make sure they put the, they put the time in. And usually it's a lot of guys who have been in bands for a long time. They have like an ample amount of, they might have a month of rehearsals. So it's not really about, do I know this material? It's maybe some other issue, but I tell everyone to do the Sam Harris guided meditation, especially people who don't or aren't familiar with that because I, when I first started doing it, I literally had to relearn how to breathe. The guided meditation. Yeah. And my breathing was because I was, I was driving to the studio and I was recording this uh, record with this band Anti-Mask I did with Omar and Cedric from the Mars Volta uh, after the Mars Volta and Flea was playing bass on it from the Chili Peppers. And I had just finished doing the Killer Be Killed record, which was a metal band I was in. Uh, and then, so, and I had to learn the Miley set after being in the studio all day with anti-mask. So I was driving to the studio and I was white knuckling the steering wheel and I was holding my breath and I realized, Oh my God, like, am I doing this all the time? Is this my normal? Yeah, this is crazy. <laughs> and then I started paying attention to it and I realized I was holding my breath all the time. Hmm. And when I started doing that short guided meditation, I realized, oh my God, I don't know how to breathe anymore. Hmm. So I had to literally learn how to, to take a full breath because I, I didn't, you know, from just getting kicked in the balls over and over again in <laughs> daily life, your breathing gets, gets shallow. Yeah. Uh, so I, so that was massive for me. So as far as like the, the rituals, that's, that's huge. Even if I don't have time to like sit down and fully do the meditation, I'll, I'll try and get into that headspace because if you start your day with that, you can very easily go back and access that mindset later on. It's much easier for me to go, okay, feeling the stress, like, okay, there's a full breath. Whereas like if I didn't start off my day doing that, I might not physically be able to access that 
that right. full breath. You haven't limbered up. Yes. Psychologically and physically. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. The, um, the breathing facial tension. Mm-hmm. You know, yesterday you were asking me when I was sitting at the kit mm-hmm. like about the jaw yeah. and the mouth and, and, uh, and we, were, we were chatting about that last night. It's like, well, is it, is it just from the standpoint of teaching, there's so many different skills that can be enhanced oddly enough by paying attention to sort of mouth, jaw, tongue relaxation. And we were chatting last night about, mm-hmm. you know, is it best to inst- tell someone to relax the jaw or is that too hard? And in fact, if you ask someone to relax the tongue, do you get that entire structure to relax more easily? Right. And, uh, yep. all of which transcends music specifically. Sure. And, uh, this is, this is a conversation I've had a lot with someone who's been on the podcast, you know, Kelly Starrett mm-hmm. who always talks about breathing in positions. Like if you can't breathe in the position, you do not own the position. Mm. And that's why I was so excited about doing this with you because I knew there was going to be tons of carryover from different yeah. disciplines. And that's what I really love. And, and so you telling me, Oh yeah, if you, if you, relax your tongue, you'll relax your whole face and your jaw that I was like, of course that's huge. And yeah. that's the way I'm going to present it to people from now on. Yeah. Cause that's a better way to teach it. It's, uh, it's, and it, you, you and I were having a conversation last night, romantic candle lit <laughs> hot tub conversation, uh, uh, amongst ice, um, ice baths. That's true. We did ice baths, which was also a great opportunity to work on breathing. breathing. Holy shit. Big time. Oh. And, uh, we, we can have a round two. Mm. Uh, but the, we were chatting about in part, we were talking about a lot of things, but what, what keeps me excited? Mm. And, my answer was seeing the interconnectedness and and the transferability of these types of concepts because even if you bleed the stone and work in one area on one discipline and you get to a point where perhaps you just feel fatigued and you mm-hmm. want to try something else, mm-hmm. but you're not sure if you could ever recapture the excitement you felt in the nascent stages of that first Mm. dominant skill Mm -hmm. for me it's been uh, i've realized that there are thousands of different disciplines you could be exposed to and take to like a fish to water because you have knowingly or unknowingly developed all of these meta skills that apply and you gave me a few gifts yeah that i alluded to fondling earlier (laughs) uh and one of them I'm holding here, and I'd love for you to just tell people what it is and why you gave it to me. Sure. So this is a book called The Inner Game of Tennis by Timothy Galway. It came out in 1974. And it's sort of one of those books where people are like, oh, yeah, that book. It had a huge effect. And there's all sorts of spinoffs, like The Inner, the Inner Game of Music actually is a book. Um, and the amazing thing with this book is I've read, both of us have read a lot about Zen Buddhism. And the thing about Zen Buddhism is by the very nature of what it is, it's very difficult to pin down and point at directly and and define, uh, because it's so amorphous. Right. Uh, and this is the first thing I ever read where he nails it down in the context of, of tennis. It's easier to do that way. Are you a tennis player? I'm not. Mm -hmm. This, this is important. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
Uh, so the book talks about essentially these two selves that we have, self one and self two. So self one is the analytical, uh, cruel self-talk, uh, harsh critic who, you know, you hit the ball in the net. If we're going to stick with the tennis analogy and self one's like, oh, you fucking piece of shit. Like, come on, get it together. And self two is your subconscious automatic self. That's just, Hey, I'm just trying to just trying to make this happen here. And the whole idea is calming down the, the critical analytical self one, your self talk, right? Uh, and letting self two, the automatic subconscious take over. And if you let that happen, everything will just happen auto- automatically. So what's interesting is what I do with so many people is very technique oriented. And this book can be described as like an anti-technique because you're, it, it's sort of the opposite way of coming about it. But what's interesting about this is with the Zen stuff, they will lead you down a path and then just leave you there a lot yep. of times. And the, the brilliant thing with this book is it's very easy to understand. Anyone can pick it up and learn. You just replace tennis with any other thing, any other discipline. The brilliant thing with this book is, is it takes you somewhere and then he's like, yeah, so, you know. This is a this is a uh, plateau you have to overcome, and this is how you do it, and that happens multiple times. This, in this is book. the problem. Here are a few approaches to resolving the yeah. problem. As as a you know, for instance, if you're really getting in your head, we'll stick with the tennis analogy in a match, and you need a device to overcome that self one because, like I was saying earlier, if you think about physiologically what you're doing in terms of movement, you use a different structure in your brain and you'll botch it. So if you're serving a tennis ball, you throw the ball up and you go, I throw the ball up, then I move my rat. You're fucked. Yeah. Right. You're going to hit the net every time. So in order to not do that, he'll, he'll say, focus on the laces of the ball Hmm. as it's coming at you or focus on the wop of the sound when you get like a good hit and just focus on those things in and of themselves. And that will take you into that, that space. And we were talking about this last night, everyone that talks about being in the zone or being on fire, that kind of thing as a state that you can willingly inhabit. It's, it's not really a a thing. It's not really true. You can set the stage for it by this type of thing, but you can't willingly enter into that or else everybody would do that all the time. Yeah. Um, And when I'm having, these out of body experiences when I'm playing music, which is what gets you to do it in the first place, sort of time slows down and unfolds in front of you and you see what you're going to play and, and yeah. the, Neo back bending. It's exactly, the bullets flying it's, by. it's exactly the same thing. <laughs> and that's, that's what gets you. That's what got me hooked that, 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 yeah, that matrix thing. And you can use that in any discipline. Yeah. And you can't, it, as you said, guarantee that you can follow the boot up sequence and automatically enter flow at any given point in time, but you can increase the odds. Sure. Absolutely. You can increase the odds. Absolutely. And we were, you were mentioning it in the context of say tennis or a tennis serve, but last night when we were tooling around on the drum kit, mm-hmm. very similar, right? When mm-hmm. you were, you were noting, you were asking me to note the difference in sound mm-hmm. from say switching from a, sort of French grip, if I'm getting this yeah, right, yeah. sort of thumb on top to a German grip, which is it's like all in a, um, more yeah, internally like a flat, rotated, flat hand, flatter yeah. hand, mm-hmm. but using the, the wrists as a whip, as a whip mm-hmm. for 
uh, I guess it was rim shot or yeah, yeah, that's on, the, it. on the snare drum and asking me to really notice like the feel and the sound of it. And what's amazing about this is we're playing an electronic kit. We're not playing an acoustic kit. So even though you're hearing sounds, theoretically, it shouldn't really sound any different because it's not real. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But this is ex- that's what's even cooler about this being on an electronic kit is like once we got you relaxing and getting those those you know those techniques happening and trimming the fat, it your vibe and your feel was like totally different even. Yeah. In that situation. And the sound is, or the, the cueing into that sound or feeling, much like anyone who's played tennis, and I've, I've played very little tennis, but knows the gratification of that proper thwack when mm-hmm. you really hit it in the sweet spot, or yeah. anyone who's boxed and found that sweet spot on a heavy bag acts as an anchor for the 27 biomechanical ingredients that yes. make it up. But if you try to recall the 27 separate ingredients right. discreetly when you're pulling your arm back to hit the ball, you're fucked. You hit the nail yeah. on the head, man. Yeah. And, and that's, and that is exactly, that's the kind of stuff that I find so exciting is, is, are those carryovers. When you hit a home run, when you smash a baseball, it doesn't feel like you did anything. Like yeah. nothing. How did I, that doesn't feel whereas if you hit it like wonky you're like you know what i mean like it feels terrible yeah and it's this it's the same thing with drums when you hit them right the energy energy should be going out yeah not back in and it's the same with anything else any athletic movement and you gave this book the inner game of tennis to and we're going to definitely come back to this topic but to your therapist yeah who's 81 something like that yeah yeah 80 something and very wise woman. Yeah. And it's, it now has a prominent <laughs> placement on, yeah. on her shelf. Yeah. It's a spot on her mantle as like one of the five or six books she gives out to people regularly. You know, I didn't ask you this, uh, cause I don't think you mentioned the five or six other books, but do you, do you know offhand any of the <sighs> other books? The Pia Melody facing love addiction is one of them. Pia Melody, P I A Melody. And, yeah. Uh, I don't know the other ones, but we, we, we can make that a bonus feature for the show notes. I'll look closer next time. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll put those in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, let's take a look at these other two. Sure. Because I think they are also a fun way to, to dissect you a bit. Sure. Uh, let's go with this one next. So this is a very small book and I always get excited about small books. <laughs> <laughs> one would not think that as, as yeah, one would not think that as every time I set out to write a 20 page children's book, it ends up being a 700 page like bl- bludgeoning tool. Yes. But this is title. The medium is the message subtitle an inventory of effects. Yeah. Marshall McLuhan. Is That's that how it. You say it. Yeah. M little C uppercase L U H A N and Quentin Fiore. Yeah. So is he, the graphic yes. designer mm-hmm. and then produced. I didn't even notice that by Jerome Agle, I suppose. No, something like that. I'm yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so who knows what, that's not something I typically see associated with books. So I'm not sure what that means, but w- tell me about this book. So Marshall McLuhan was a really interesting and very popular social and media theorist in the fifties and sixties. So I find it really fascinating that, that he's not a household name now being that media is such a massive part of everyone's life now. 
especially people who do their own thing. Uh, like we have to have Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. Like it's, you just, you don't have a choice. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I just, I find, I find, uh, societal issues and, and media and how we process and consume media very interesting. And this dude was so ahead of everyone by decades it's almost creepy just in terms of his predictive ability yeah and and the interesting thing about him is he would he would spout off all sorts of inflammatory crazy things and people would get you know you know furious about certain things or pick pick things apart and he would contradict himself all the time and make these grand statements and that maybe would have been something that would have bothered me years ago but now as long as there are gems throughout and he's hits the nail on the head in certain areas and I can take away things that shift my perspective as a whole. That's all that matters to me. So the medium is the message. This is actually the medium is the massage because they screwed up when they were, (laughs) that's so funny. I didn't even notice. I know. Well, because they screwed up when they were printing it originally (laughs) and he thought it was hilarious and he's like, just leave it. It's fine. So it was supposed to be the medium is the message, but it's actually the medium is the massage. And he's like, that's great. (laughs) That's great. Let's keep it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He like loved puns and he was kind of a quirky, weird dude. Um, so the, the whole idea of that phrase is that the, medium with which information is submitted to you is more important than the actual information itself. So an example I like to use is something like auto-tune. So for people who don't know what auto-tune is, uh, if you think of that share song, like, do you believe in life after love? Like whatever that was like 20 years ago. And it's, 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 so auto-tune is a, is a software that, people use to correct someone's vocal take. So if someone's vocal take is wonky, they just sort of massage it a little bit. It's been used quite a bit in uh, hip hop. Yes. So, so what the new thing with that share song was, is they used a, a, a different key signature to auto tune it. So like, so it way overcorrected itself. And that's what got that weird T now T pain sort of sound yeah. and Drake and now. So like as something that was a, uh, an experiment now has currently changed the way music is the software itself has now changed the art form. And to the point where I'll have producer friends of mine tracking someone doing vocals in their twenties and they're like, Hey, why is my, why does my voice sound weird? And they're like, that's what your voice sounds like. That's actually what it sounds oh, like. Uncorrected. They expect it to sound like auto-tuned. So the technology has now affected the, the not art only form. changed the content, but also changed the perception mm-hmm. of the raw materials. Yeah. And you could say the same thing about there's something called beat detective, which is something that, that drummers the world over hate. So it's the same sort of a thing for drummers. So like they can you can you can track something, record something in a studio and then they will artificially adjust everything to a to a grid. And if someone's lazy about it, they just snap it to the grid and it just sounds like it's very stiff and computer like, because that's, that's what it's been turned into. Spock on drums. Yeah, exactly. So, so, but people got used to hearing that. Can you remove the soul from my music? Yeah. So I've done sessions where like, I'll go in and, 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 I think do a pretty good job 
and then I'll hear it back. And I'm like, why did you even have me play on this? Because yeah. they just are lazy. It's more about just be them being lazy and not going yeah. through and, you know. But, but people got used to hearing how, quote, unquote, perfect that is. And if someone hears something that rushes or drags or is a little bit not perfect, they're like, oh, this is weird. And so a lot of things are beat detected to the point where it's just yeah. totally artificial now. Drain, and then, You've drained the blood. Yes. And then the pendulum will swing back. And, you know, that's why Adele was so successful because it yeah. was real music. And or like no, Jack Johnson. Or, yeah. You yeah. Know, exactly. You, you do have the pendulum sometimes swinging the abstraction. Is your interest in this? Because I know it's not limited just to this book. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, one I wanted to bring up, you have mentioned this to me many times. And in fact, this is a, a documentary series that has come up repeatedly on this podcast. I'm embarrassed to say that I still have not seen it. Adam Curtis's BBC documentary series, The Century of the Self. Yeah. And hyper-normalization. Yeah. You know, so you said it changed the way that you, that you saw the world forever, and I'll, I'll just continue here. So, sure. so even if you just check out the first, these are your words, the first 20 minutes of, of Century of the Self, it will blow your mind. Why, why is, maybe you could, you could segue into the Century of the Self and hypernormalization and tell me why this is so interesting to you, because this seems to be thematically something that is of great interest to you. Yeah. And... We were just talking about Beat Detective and other things. People might assume, oh, it's because he's a musician and mm-hmm. it's how these things affect music. But I don't know if that's I don't know if that's true. Mm. So, could you talk about how you how did you find the century of the self? Because it has come up surprisingly frequently on the sure. podcast. And why 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 does it grab your attention? My buddy Chris uh, is a musician friend of mine, and he told me about it years ago. I think it came out in two thousand. I think I'd have to double check that, but, uh, it's the, the, the premise of century of the self is <clears throat> it starts with focusing on, on Edward Bernays. So Edward Bernays was Sigmund Freud's nephew and he took all of Sigmund Freud's theories on the subconscious and came to the conclusion that human beings are either savage animals that are going to rip each other apart or they can be controlled and made docile via consumerism. So the opiate for the masses. Yeah, it's literally that. So, um, so Edward Bernays used some of these, uh, some of these tactics that he pioneered in, uh, propaganda for world war one. And then after world war one, he was like, Oh, well we can use these in peacetime, for uh, capitalists selling more detergent. Yes. So the whole notion of you buying a pair of shoes to express your inner self was single-handedly formulated by him. So we think that's just always been around, but really before him, if people were thirsty, they drank water. If, if people needed it, they would wear shirts for years. Uh, And you know, as, as that, Dudes who I am a big fan of, Slavoj Žižek. <laughs> so we're going to come back to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slovenian philosopher. Yeah. S-L-A-V-O-J, second name, Z-I-Z-E-K. Amazing name. Yeah. Right, please continue. Amazing we'll come, person. We'll, we'll come back to that. Yeah, so what he talks about, he, he says, you know, if, if once you drink Coke instead of water, the excess is with us forever. You can't go backwards. Right? So 
uh, he did interesting things like having a bunch of women smoke cigarettes. Uh, there was some sort of subconscious phallic connotation with that. But at the time, women didn't smoke. And he hired like a bunch of attractive women to smoke on like, in like a parade or in public or something to get it like quote unquote sort of trending. Yeah. Um, so the idea, so basically like having the celebrity wear the sneakers. Yeah, huh? exactly. So he created focus groups and he created the idea of PR. This is all him. So this guy single handedly shaped America as we know it. And of course, America affects everything else in the world. Um, up until recently anyway. Um, and so, so, especially the world we live in now with Instagram and social media, he's maybe the most influential person. I mean, in terms of, of who's, society, who's most people don't recognize. Yeah. It's it. So it blows my mind. He should be a household name. And this is Edward Bernays. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you know, the documentary is B E R N A Y S. Yes. People wondering. And the doc. And, and what's interesting is, is you would think he, like you would think he made himself famous via Sigmund Freud, but it was actually the other way around. He took all of his tactics and made Sigmund Freud into Sigmund Freud. Huh? Yeah. It's crazy. So, uh, that I didn't, that's, I had no idea. That's yeah. really wild. So it's four one hour episodes and the first episode, the century called, of the self. Yeah. It's called happiness machines. That's the first episode. And Adam Curtis has a really interesting style of making these documentaries. I saw him do a talk in Los Angeles when hypernormalization came out in 2016. And he said, you know, these aren't really documentaries. They're kind of just things that I make. And they're almost like video essays or collages. And McLuhan talks a lot about, about that, uh, presenting things as sort of a, a star pattern of images because language is sometimes insufficient to convey the ideas. So it, 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 it can be like a weird collage. You're like, you're like, what am I? Like I show this documentary to people like, what is this? <laughs> you know, like it's really strange. And the music's really weird and bizarre. Which one are you talking about? Uh, talking sorry, about? I'm talking about uh, hypernormalization. E- either one, anything he's made, anything Adam Curtis has made is, is the same style. Uh, and uh, so it's four one hour episodes and it goes all the way up until uh, the Clinton administration because this idea this Edward Bernays stuff weaves its way into politics and all sorts. And it goes into other things too. So that completely changed the way I, I think about everything. I think about it every day. In what, what would be an example? Is it just that you're aware of the way your subconscious is being manipulated? Is it that you view other individual and collective behavior differently because you question the free will ingredient it how does it on a day-to-day basis impact how you think about things or view reality it's all it's all of that and and if you're just let's if we're just talking about consumerism if i want to buy something whatever it is like a a drink or a snare drum which i buy a lot of (laughs) (laughs) or some art which i also buy a lot of why i think why do i want this yeah what what's driving this and a lot of times the answer is different than, than what you think it may be yeah, or what you want it to be. Yeah. Well, a lot of times you're filling that you're, you're, you're filling the void, right? Yeah. So, uh, 
that's something that uh, that's a whole other other topic like existential angst but <laughs> <laughs> that is a big topic <laughs> but that's why a lot of people are you know are buying things is is to to you know make themselves feel better but you know i, I heard this quote uh, not too long ago it's actually in a collection of quotes i love just a collection of quotes i'm such a like a promiscuous quote reader sure but there is one and i don't know the attribution someone out there on the internet can certainly indicate who the proper attribution is. And I'll actually, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes as well. Uh, I'll write down this note, mankind existential animal quote, <laughs> question mark. Uh, and the, the quote is along the lines of, uh, man is the only animal for which his own existence is a problem to be solved. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's it right there. It's like my dog Molly does not seem preoccupied <laughs> <No>. <laughs> at all. No. Thing is. <laughs> no, she's just having a good time. Yeah. Uh, you meant, you mentioned artwork yeah. and, and we're going to come back to, uh, some of the music and we're also going to jump into some of the, the rapid fire questions mm-hmm. that I love to ask, uh, which I haven't, I mean, we've known each other for quite a while, but sure. I, I don't think I've ever asked uh, certainly 90% of those. That Great. We're going we're to be coming up on, but the artwork, I follow you on Instagram and I love your drumming. Thanks. So don't take this the wrong way. <laughs> uh, I find the artwork that you discover to be fascinating. Thanks. And strange. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> So I use your account also as a way of discovering different types of graphic design and art. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you always been interested in visual art or, and if not, how did that become what seems like an important part of your life? I don't know if it is. Yeah. It's a very important part yeah, of my so life. Like, how, how did it become important? Why is it important? <sighs> I, I used to make art. I used to draw a lot and do watercolors when I was a kid. And then when I started playing drums, like really young, like five, six, seven. And then I, when I started playing drums, I didn't do anything else. Like it, it took my full mental capacity. Um, so that sort of fell by the wayside. And then I hit a certain point in my career where, you know, if you just have those blinders on and you're myopic about something because you're very, very focused and driven, you end up burning out eventually. So, and touring is incredibly stressful. So I hit a wall a few years ago and how old are you now? 34. Okay. So like 31, 32, something like that. Yeah. And I turned to art as a sort of oblique form of, of inspiration. I don't, I don't want to hijack the, yeah. flow, the flow here. When you say hit a wall, is that physical fatigue? What do you mean by that? M- mental fatigue mostly because you get to, we were sort of talking about this last night. You get to a certain point where you check all the boxes of things that you've wanted to do. And I got to a certain point where I was like, I've done everything that I wanted to do career wise. Right now. What do I now? What do I do? Yeah. Right. And also, uh, I was talking to, um, Jimmy Chamberlain about this. I've been, uh, he's a good friend of mine and I've been helping him out a little bit. Who is that? Uh, he plays drums for the Smashing Pumpkins. And we were having breakfast a few months ago and we were talking about the same type of thing. And he was, he was saying, yeah. And people are like, man, this is great. Your band's doing so well. Or, or you're, 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 you're doing all these tours and you're like, isn't that amazing? And and I was saying, yeah, it's, it's, it's not amazing. I always knew I was going to do this. This isn't a, this isn't a surprise for, for me. I always knew this was going to happen. So in a way, it's hard to 
get to the top of Mount Everest and be like, I did it. Cause you're like, well, duh, of course I did it. Now, how much of that, when you say I knew it was going to happen, how much of that, and there's certainly could be an option C, D and E, but how much of that is, I knew it was going to happen because I knew I was really good versus I'm just doing my fucking job. Like as a professional drummer, like I am putting in the work and therefore like it is my job to ultimately do X, Y, and Z. And I did X, Y, and Z. So why would I pat myself on the back for doing my job? Yeah. Sort of both or something else. Well, it's just like, I'm, I have a lot of the latter. Like I Mm -hmm. struggle with that quite a bit. I'm going to work harder than you are and I'm going to be the first in and the last out. And if if this guy can make it work, I can certainly make it work. Mm-hmm. So it's really that sort of a thing. Like I'm going to, I, I, I always say this to, to people I'm working with. I'm saying, look, you can have a, a good amount of innate ability at whatever you're doing, but the person who puts the work in is always going to surpass you. And if you have a little bit of innate ability, like I think I do, and you work harder than anyone else, obviously there's a certain amount of luck involved in anything, which you can't do anything about. But there was no other option. Yeah. And the thing I was talking about with Jimmy is he was like, that this becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy down to your, down to the molecular atomic level. If you, if you're operating from that state, things will unfold in that manner because uh, you're, you're working in that, not like the secret kind of bullshit, <laughs> like not that crap, right. but like I have it. And he recommended this book to me and I, and I have so many books I have to read. Uh, is it like on becoming yourself? It's super popular right now. I'll have to look it up. I wonder who, who wrote it. I have, I have it in my, is it Krista Tippett? No, she's okay. great though. She is. Yeah. Um, I'm reading this Ellen, Ellen Langer book called mindfulness, which you're going to super well, dig. I've watched you carrying it around. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> and she would, Ellen Langer was on her podcast. That was how I found out about her. Got it. All right. So uh, we will follow up. So Jimmy recommended a book. Yeah. I just may have... be on becoming something or other. Yeah. God, I have to look What's it up. What's the gist of the book? Or it's basically, why did he recommend it? It basically goes way into that in terms of a scientific vantage point, like how all of that stuff works. It's very scientific. Now, when you say that stuff, you mean when you place yourself on a certain direction and make thousands of micro decisions that are subconsciously aligned with that direction. Yes. How things How does that work unfold. scientifically? Mm-hmm. Instead of some voodoo weird, right. I want a new car, so I'm going to put that into the, into the universe and then it'll just happen. Well, like, it, not it, that. You know, it makes me think, Again, I'll be going to blame it on the caffeine, but I just like jumping around and interjecting because I'm too hyperactive. <laughs> we were talking about Maria Bamford. Yeah. yeah who's yeah. a fucking amazing comedian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And at one point, she was doing this, uh, this bit on having read The Secret. And so she said, uh, you know, I went home and I, I created a vision board. And on my vision board, I had all the things that I wanted. And uh, my sister came over. And her, her sister apparently is some very successful lawyer or something. <laughs> And her sister comes over, very type A, and her sister's like, what is this? She's like, oh, it's my vision board. She's like, you have a microwave on your vision board? She's like, a fucking microwave? That's ridiculous. I'll buy you a fucking microwave. And then Maria's like, bam, manifest. That's awesome. So we're not talking about trying to make that happen. No. <laughs> no. But I haven't read it yet, so I'm yeah. kind of talking out of my ass here. But yeah. he was saying it's it's well, incredible. How did he think it would help you? Or why did he prescribe that? 
because we were talking about it anyway. And he was like, Oh, have you read this book? That's mm. sort of what it's all, all about. So I haven't, it's in the queue. I haven't gotten to it yet. What did he share with you or what were his thoughts on this position that you find yourself in? Where it's like, all right, I've, I seem to have some degree of innate ability for this particular field. I was drawn to it. Mm-hmm. I've applied myself very diligently mm-hmm. over at this point, I guess decades. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I've done what I want to do. Now what? Well, and you said something, I don't know if you want to debut it here or not. I said, Oh my God, you should put that on social media just to <laughs> further outsource your self, self, uh, esteem, <laughs> sure. which I think is like social media in a nutshell. <laughs> uh, but, you said, do you want to try to, do yeah. you want to take a stab at it? I said, I said, uh, anyone who says do what you love for a living and you'll never work a day in your life hasn't done what they want to do for a living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You do anything day in, day out Yeah, for decades. Yeah. There's a point where you're like, okay. Even to the point where I'm doing these tours where I'm super stressed out and like, you know, you're walking in on stage in an arena for 15,000 people, Staples Center or whatever, and you're like, Ugh, you know, after a week, once I have the show down, I'm like, eh, whatever, making the donuts, you know, <laughs> <laughs> especially if it's a pop thing, because it's literally the same thing every, right. every, you know, if it's something more improvised, that's a little bit more exciting. But there's something that happens that I have to help people out with who are on tours for a year and a half or two years. And it's a pop context. Holy shit. I didn't realize tours were that long. Oh yeah, dude. Fuck. Album cycle. Totally. Oh my God. So you're playing the exact same thing. Note for note day so, in. So day it's out. like being on book tour until your next book comes out. Yep. Basically. Well, and then you'll take a I break. Mean, you'll, you'll do some recording. You'll but. take a break, do a new record. Yeah. But it's intense and you're out with the same people, the same texts. You're away from your family. It's pretty rough. Yeah. Um, And so something that happens to people is they're playing the same thing over and over and over again. I mean, literally this note for note, because if you're playing a pop, like when I was doing Miley, that's a massive production. It's like eight buses, 12 semis. Uh, The stage production is is insane. I'm going up, up and down above and below the stage. There's a huge video wall. She's riding a giant hot dog, like 20 feet above the air in the arena. There's a lot of things that that go on there. So you can't do anything different because you'll, because the dancers will be like, Oh, like what, what just happened? Right? Right. So you have people playing the exact same thing, note for note for a year and a half, two years, and they start to lose their mind, uh, because, it's so monotonous and repetitive. Yeah, it's like the polar bear doing like the lap in the one 10 foot pool. And then <laughs> exactly, it's exactly the same thing. So what interesting, what, what starts happening is your brain starts creating weird quagmires for you to, for you to fall into because it's bored. What would be an example? So like, for instance, you'll get to a certain part and you'll be like, Oh, why can't I play that? it's not hard to play. Uh, like there was a guy I was working with who, uh, has played with like Janet Jackson for a year. You know, a lot of people, he's a fantastic drummer and he had like some issues with his, with his foot. And he went to see someone in Atlanta, like a neuro, uh, neurologist. And she had some helmet that he put on to, cause it, I, we were looking at like the technique, the physical issues. And I guess there were some, parts of his brain that were like turned off, Hmm. like to control the foot. It's crazy. I don't know how that, that, that technology works, but, um, your brain will, will fuck with you. Yeah. So though there was times at the Mars Volta or with Miley or whatever, where I would be like, Oh, here comes this part. 
And it's like, ah, you're already dead in the water. Yeah. Um, or like when I was doing M83, there was one section where like I would, I would hear the beat in the wrong place. Like weird. You yeah. had like an auditory hallucination. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and like, it was, it was very, very, it was a very simple section. And I remember at soundcheck, uh, and me like going, Whoa, 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 what's going on here? This is like, in your brain is like, I need something to do. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, so I forgot why I got on that. We tangent. were talking about, you were talking about Jimmy and oh, yeah. climbing Everest and what, what his thoughts were on what well, to do. Well, his situation, we were just, we were talking about this sort of last night. It's like, there, you know, in certain situations, there aren't a lot of people you can talk to yeah. about certain things. Right. Um, so we were just kind of going back and forth at that type of thing. And the thing with him is he is in a band that was, that's still huge. Um, and the thing with being in a, this is the thing that's uncontrollable in the music industry or, you know, there's tons of parables here, but I can work really, really hard and, it doesn't matter if my band makes it or not in a way that if you really hit the lottery, that's totally outside of your control. So that they put in all the hard work, uh, but that band hit, hit the lottery. Yeah. And that is out of your, out of your control. But again, you can sort of set the stage for it. So where he's coming from, because he's in a band that is huge is totally different from someone like me. Who's a mercenary. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's, it's a blackwater sniper <laughs> yeah, totally. of drumming technicians. <laughs> <Yeah>, totally. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. Um, but he's very, very intelligent and great player. Uh, really great guy too. He's amazing. You guys would get along really well. Yeah. I'd love to meet him. Yeah, for sure. He, how long has he been, uh, the drummer with, with, he took a break for a, for a while and then he recently got back together with them and they're just on tour right now doing their new cool. record. Yeah. There's so many tracks that just fueled me through uh, so many parts of college. Oh and yeah, another dude. point zero bu- bu- butterfly with yeah, uh, bullet, no, with, bullet with butterfly yeah, wings. Yeah, dude. Oh my god. Oh yeah, so I love that. Amazing. I think we should maybe jump into some some rapid fire, but after end we will incorporate this. Thank you for the index finger point. We're, <laughs> we're not going to miss this because you mentioned a word earlier, which is a very useful word, uh, word oblique. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about the sides of your abs, <laughs> although I suppose we are. It's used in that context. Too. We're going to come back and talk about oblique strategies. But first, since we've consumed, I think, several black teas, several green teas, several Topo Chico's. <laughs> and are working our way through a couple of cappuccinos and more green tea. <laughs> we'll take a short bio break and return for your listening pleasure. We'll be right back. And we're back. As promised, oblique strategies. This is a black case that is holding what looks like a deck of cards. And this deck of cards has all sorts of things written on them. The first two, which I pulled out yesterday, which were highly, highly relevant to a number of corners I've painted myself into recently, were card number one, simple subtraction. Card number two, what mistakes did you make last time? What are these? Oblique strategies. (laughs) So they're cards that Brian Eno and Peter Schmidt made together in 1975. 
and they're who are those two people? So Brian Eno is a super famous musician. Uh, he's he's done a lot of of different things over the years, but he was first uh, famous with the band uh, Roxy Music. And he went went on later to sort of pioneer ambient music. Yes, with uh, music for airports. Uh, Wait, literally music for airports? That's what the record's called. It's called music. Oh. It's called music for airports. <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I should have clarified I, that. I feel like you, I feel like they would get along with McLuhan, and the medium is the the massage. Yeah, yeah. Well, he he wanted to make something that sort of. N- neither had a beginning or an end and you could tune in and out of, and it didn't really matter. And, uh, so he's a very interesting, brilliant person. And these are strategies when you're making anything. I mean, this is in the context of making music, but you can obviously apply them to anything. They're devices to, to knock you out of your present state of mind. Like you said, when you paint yourself into a corner, like, yeah, I got to get out of this. Or you just feel like you've painted yourself into a corner. Sure. Well, that's a whole other thing, right? Yeah. So there's a whole deck of cards that are very simple, minimalist suggestions, right? So the ones that you picked out, uh, you know, we, you already said, but if you pick, if we pick out like just a few random ones, tidy up, do something boring. The most important thing is the thing most easily forgotten. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> Overtly resist change. Disciplined self-indulgence. Yeah, so these are prompts. Yeah. In a way, for getting unstuck or unfucked. So, you know, I've had I've had a set of these for years, and I thought you would be super into these. How do you use the, how do you use these cards? And and I'll 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 just buy a little bit of time because I noticed there's a, there's a description card, which I hadn't noticed earlier. Hmm. These cards evolved from separate observations of the principles underlying what we were doing. What we were doing, I'm imagining is, is very much musically related, but mm-hmm. sometimes they were recognized in retrospect, i.e. intellect catching up with intuition. Sometimes they were identified as they were happening. Sometimes they were formulated. They can be used as a pack, a set of possibilities being continuously reviewed in the mind or by drawing a single card from the shuffled pack when a dilemma occurs in a working situation. In this case, the card is trusted, even if its appropriateness is quite unclear. They are not final, as new ideas will present themselves, and others will become self-evident. Yeah, there you go. How do you use, or how have you used these cards? I always think about them in terms of how I'm supporting music as you know, on, for the greater good, right? So a lot of times in an improvised context, these are very, very applicable because with an instrument such as drums or guitar, piano or bass, where you don't have to breathe to play it, you run the risk of vomit chops. What does that mean? It means you, you can just play as much as you want. If you're playing a wind instrument, you literally have to breathe. So that affects your phrasing. So you can pause Hmm. and you know, drumming, you don't have to do that. You can play a million miles an hour forever. Right. And, and after two minutes, the listener wants to kill themselves. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. There is, yeah. All right. There isn't uh, sort of a, as much of a, there is a biological limiter, but it's not as obvious to the listener. No. Yeah. With, with, with a saxophone or something, you have to breathe every 15 or 20 seconds. So you have to have space. And that cliche, that cliche thing of it's not about what you play, it's about what you don't play. It's, it's cliche for a reason. It's really true. Yeah. And, and that's something that I 
try to focus on a lot because it's, if you have a lot of facility, it's very easy to just, you know, barf all over the place and and overwhelm everyone. I'm not a musician as I've stated repeatedly, but I remember someone said to me, music is the space between the notes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Ooh, Mm -hmm. interesting. And with drumming, especially because you're keeping time for everyone, it's, it's a very meditative state. A lot of people will count in between the notes and they'll be very precise about it. And I've always tried to be very Zen about it and just feel the void mm-hmm. in between the notes that you're playing. It's a totally di- it's two totally different ways of doing it. And depending on what you're doing at the moment, one could be better than the other, but yeah, man. So you would then give me give me an example if you could. Yeah, could be hypothetical. Yeah, like, when would you pull out this deck and be like, "All right, I I really feel like I need one of these cards." So you know, I do a lot of the, the body mechanics stuff with people, and I also have people who are just like, "Hey, dude, give me a bunch of cool, crazy licks to play, like yeah. uh, imp- song enders." You know, <laughs> you know that yeah. kind of a thing. Like I did that with Stacy, my buddy Stacy Jones, who's Miley's MD and drummer. And that was MD. my uh, musical director. Sorry. <laughs> like, hell of a combo. <laughs> Let me finish the song and then here's an EpiPen in the leg. <laughs> so he was like, hey, dude, I just want to get some rad song enders. It was like, great. We can totally do that. And so I showed him a bunch of licks. And we had fun. And, and this is the kind of situation that's great for these because people, after you work on the phrasing, they, after about 20 minutes, they've played everything they know. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, what do I do now? So you could just pick something out of the deck. Like you just picked out give the game away. And how you interpret that, you can yeah. go a number of ways, well, right? It's like slow down on your shirt. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, anyone who picks that up, they're like, what does that mean? They're like, what does it mean to you? You right. can like therapize them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like for me, the first the way I would process that is like I'm just going to – a lot of times when you're building up solos – you don't do that. Mm-hmm. You want to lead someone in and sort of set the stage because if you start off on... Yeah, don't give them the filet mignon as exa- the appetizer. Exactly. So this, to me, the way I would interpret this is is I'm going to come in guns blazing and yeah. then try to work my way out of that because that's the biggest no-no. I'm going yeah. to do that on purpose right? and then see what happens. Mm-hmm. Someone could also, cool. Someone could also say, like, if you're thinking about it in a sports analogy you know you could just be like i'm just gonna play the game and see what happens just let it happen on its own it's not about winning or losing cool i dig it yeah yeah this is good timing for me (laughs) great so we've we've talked a lot about playing in front of huge crowds and the musicians you work with and uh certainly this show tends to feature people who are very good at something sure I would like to talk about failures mm. or disappointments. And this is a question I really enjoy asking, which is how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? It could be a disappointment but or, or anything. But do you have any particular favorite failures or failures that come to mind that were, in retrospect, very valuable? I've gone out for auditions for for plenty of bands, and I haven't gotten gigs. Yeah, I mean that's just how it goes. And if you go in there, and again you're really prepared, 
and you fully present yourself accurately and they don't want it, it's not the right fit. What else, what else can you do? You might think of like, Oh, I didn't get the gig. Like it's a failure. But what about if you, it's the same thing as dating, right? What if you present a fake version of yourself and then they like that and then you have to keep doing that. And then you're like, who am I? Yeah. So there's plenty of situations where, I go in doing the Dave smash thing, like in that Mars Volta video. And they're like, Holy shit. Like Jesus Christ, like <laughs> get a restraining order. Yeah, and it's too much. And they get freaked out. And it's just like, well, you know, I might not be that guy all the time, but that's yeah. definitely possible. Yeah. Um, a real life situation, which is what I always try to, to talk about because that's the most important thing. So many people run into problems when they just, it it's hyperbole. Yeah. Uh, so when I was out with the 1975, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, uh, George, the, the drummer, I've been teaching him for, for a while and he broke his collarbone on tour. So it was the same type of situation. Call How do you break his collarbone? Uh, maybe I, it's not for I, I don't, I don't, family programming. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But he was just like, <laughs> nice. dude, I break my, broke my collarbone. No. So, no. Good, you know, good recovery. Continue. <laughs> So I was like, who knows, you know? Um, so, uh, so he was like, can you come out here and, and you know, fill in? Uh, so same type of situation. I have to learn all the music last minute. It's, uh, you know, a big, really large venues, arenas. And I show up to Toronto, meet everyone. We have a, a, a line check on stage, which is you just make sure all the connections are working. Mm-hmm. We run through a couple songs, maybe. The people attempting to assemble my drum kit did not do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was another thing. George, I'm, you know, I'm like 5'6 on a good day, right? George yeah. is at least a foot taller than me, if not more. Wow. Yeah, he's very tall. He's probably like 6'9". Holy yeah, cow. he's very tall. So daddy, I had daddy long legs. On yeah, the drum kit. Yeah, long legs, long arms, long everything. So I had to rearrange his kit. A lot of times you have to sit down and just play it, uh, which can present some problems. But I had to rearrange things because it was like impossible. And so yeah, out, outdoor stage in Toronto, ten thousand people, and you just have to go for it. Now you were sit. You said you're going through a line check. Yeah, so line check off the reservation. Yeah, so line check is like kick, kick, kick drum, snare drum, guitar. You know, like checking everything's working right. Mm -hmm. And then he was, you know, Maddie, the singer's like, "Can we do this song? Let's do this song." And we just did like a couple songs. And he was like, "Okay, great." And then it's just it's showtime. Right. Yeah, and uh, and so you know, everyone was like, because that's the type of situation where it's a band and you have to come in. And the very difficult thing is you have to assume someone else's character. Yeah. And try to make everyone feel comfortable enough to where it's comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know, they were like, yeah, you know, have you like play play the parts, but like you can have some fun. And so I threw in things here and there, and they were like laughing and yeah. into it, and and it was super fun. And and uh, so we did that run for about a month, and then I sat down with Maddie at a certain the singer. And he was like, you know, man, we have to do Glastonbury and some, some BBC one stuff. And it's, it's really important that this band sounds like the 1975. And right now it sounds like the 1975 with Dave Elitch. Mm-hmm. Cause your personality is just huge. Yeah. And at the time I was like, fuck, I was so bummed cause yeah. I really like Maddie. I really like George, all those guys. And I really like the music a lot. And I was just like, fuck, man. And, 
And then I was like, wait, this is like the best compliment anyone could ever give me. Yeah. Cause having an identity is the most important thing when you're making art. And I was like, you know what? That's fucking awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, that was, they got, they got, um, my buddy Freddie who was doing it for the week until I got there. Freddie Sheed is a really great drummer in the UK. They got him to do it again until George could come back and, and Freddie's great. And he's a really good buddy of mine. He did a great job. And I was just at the time I was like, so bummed. Uh, but what helped you reframe it? Like when did, when were you able to reframe it and view it the way took a while, took, took a few months. Did you do it on your own? Did it come to clarity through therapy? What helped? Maybe talking. Because a lot of people don't recover from, they, they're not able to reframe something that might have been a very difficult time. It continues to be something that was very difficult. Right? Mm-hmm. And they just take, it takes them out forever. Yeah. Or it just becomes this pain, this like dull ache that mm-hmm. they revisit every time they have the memory. Mm-hmm. But you've been able to reframe it. Yeah. I think through enough experience and through having enough success outside of that situation, yeah, I can, I can definitely see that happening if it's like, that's your one shot and that's the only amount of success you've ever had. But I've done a lot of other things and I did things after that before it. And so it's like, Oh, that was just that one thing. And it wasn't like, Oh, you, you fucked it up. Yeah. It was just like, you're too distracting. What's the shittiest music gig you've ever had? <laughs> and it could be like, oh man, fucking, it could be anything. It could oh. be fucking halftime at like a oh. rogue Olive Garden. I don't know. Like, <laughs> um, man, I don't know if I can answer that without getting in trouble. Or any? Have you ever? Have there any ever been moments when you've doubted yourself or doubted the music path, where you've just been like, fuck? Oh, all the time. What would any examples come to mind? They could be super early. They could be at any point. Well, the industry has changed so much in the past 10 or 15 years. Uh, just the way it's structured as a business model alone yeah. makes you question things. Like, is this even a, a working model anymore? Yeah. And that changes on a daily basis. So, just thinking about things monetarily. Um, sometimes you're like, does this even make sense? Like for me, like, am I going to go out on tour and be away from home and make X amount of money when I can just stay home and sleep in my own bed and make X amount of money teaching? Right. You know, that, that kind of a thing. And then it's like, well, do I want to teach or do I want to play music? What, you know, and then it's like the grass is always greener. So that all that stuff's constantly swirling around in my head. Uh, yeah. When you're auditioning for gigs and you're like, really that dude got the gig. Are you kidding me? And then you're like, if that's what people want, like that's garbage. Like what? And everyone else is like, Oh, gross. And you know, like I can't, like that guy, dude's such a cheese ball. Like why would they, you know? And, and they were like, well, is that what people want? And then if like, if that's what people want, why am I doing this? Cause no one has good taste. Yeah. You can get in that, that whole thing. So, just yeah, to- totally. And I, I think what's what's very important is doing a multitude of things. I I teach a lot. That's really my bread and butter. Mm-hmm. But because of that, I can be selective and 
learn how to say no to things because of that. So if someone calls me for two playing gigs, yes. Yeah. So if someone calls me for a tour and I heard a lot of bad things about the artist, like they're a pain in the ass, I'll be like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. I don't have to do it. I have a lot of friends who tour and that's all they do. They have to do it. And they're like, God, you're so lucky you teach. I have to go out with this piece of shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it's like, and, and then it comes around to doing what you love for a living, yeah. you know? And then they're like, oh, like, what's the point if, if you go out on the road and you're bumming? Yeah. So there's something to be said about the weekend warrior who goes to their, their suit and tie cubicle job and then they get out of work and they're like, yeah, I'm going to go play drums right now. And they're stoked. Yeah. There's something to be said for that. Yeah. Cause it's still like a holy special thing. And that's something that I struggle with, with art Yeah, because I love art so much and it's so important to me. And everyone's like, when are you going to start making stuff? And I was like, but if I start making it, right. then I'm part of it. And then it's like tainted. Yeah. In a way. Well, it makes me think of some of my friends who are very, very successful travel writers. Mm. It's really hard for them to travel for fun because they're constantly thinking about what would the lead be? Oh, how would I describe this? Oh, maybe I should take some notes just in case they have a, a very tough time experiencing travel without thinking about how they would craft the narrative well same thing for me like if you go on tour a lot you don't want to go traveling for fun you're like i was just out for six weeks i just want to be home yeah so like everyone's like man you should take a vacation and i'm just like i don't i don't want to go anywhere i want a staycation yeah exactly. well you, you were talking about the the teaching which i think is really uh, a point i want to revisit because you do you do multiple things you have a num- you have many different interests yeah and it strikes me that in a sense you've number 1 diversified your identity in such a way that you don't feel psychologically compelled to always tour mm-hmm. secondly with the teaching and uh you know with the online course, right? Uh-huh. Getting out of your own way, which I think could be like, maybe it will be the title of this podcast. <laughs> uh, so interrelated as it relates to, that was a terrible sentence, but you get the idea. <laughs> Oblique strategies, <laughs> the inner game of tennis. I mean, uh, so many of these creative pursuits, professional pursuits, personal pursuits are not about doing something brand new that is this gigantic skill you have to acquire over 15 years a lot of it is just removing the blocks mm-hmm. right uh but the point i was going to make is that you are not in a position because you've developed these different branches of your life where you have to to feel or act out of desperation Mm. And it makes me think, for instance, this, this might seem like it's totally out of left field, but Arnold Schwarzenegger mm. never really auditioned. And this is something not a whole lot of people know about him. It's not a secret, but he made millions of dollars in real estate before he ever had his break in film. So he wow. focused on real estate in Santa Monica and other areas and had also other types of business. He had a mail order business. He had a bricklaying business with Franco Colombo so that he could be selective about the roles he took. That's incredible. And he was able to craft a trajectory even when, and, 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 and you're talking about the cheese ball, 
<laughs> taking the gig. Yeah. When he got started, people are like, this is never going to work. Right. You're right. a freak show. Right. Nobody wants that. Right. Like people want Al Pacino and taxi. Mm-hmm. They do not or taxi driver. Yeah. Taxi tax driver. One of the two. Naked. Robert De Niro. Oh yeah. There we go. <laughs> wow. How many ways can I get that story wrong? We can uh, edit that out. Yeah. Yeah. Close enough. Close enough. This is audio verite folks. I'll leave it in. Uh, wow. Well, you get the idea. Yeah. And he was, he was able to bide his time also mm. so that at some point he could, he could put himself in a position where he could be exactly what people wanted. And, and yep. uh, you were, I actually, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a public thanks <laughs> also for, you can see where my, how my brain is connecting these yes. two, uh, for your introduction to Bill Burr, sure, a comedian who's also on this show, who you teach, mm-hmm. uh, who for people who haven't seen it, does one of the most hilarious Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> bits of all time, which I won't spoil. It is definitely not suitable for work, so don't play it at full volume on YouTube at your job and then get pissed off at me on the internet. Uh, but the the diversification of identity psychologically uh, very very important, and then the the income diversification mm-hmm. for you, allowing you to then as an artist craft uh, a more deliberate path, I think are really, really, yeah, absolutely. Really, really important. And, and if you're not being deliberate about what you're creating, then what the hell are you doing? You're just making garbage, right? You, yeah, absolutely. You mentioned George. So this is George yeah. Daniel, right? Yep. Of the 1975. So yep. he, he has said, and I quote, <laughs> uh, among other things, Uh, I'll I'll read the whole thing. But Dave saved my arms and hands. He made me see I could, in fact, contrary to my belief, develop technique that would save me from blisters and help solve tendonitis for many years of horrible, horribly inefficient technique. Uh, We don't have to talk about that. We can. But the next line is what's interesting to me. He taught patience, exclamation Mm. point, an incredible player, really great teacher, an all around lovely human. What does that mean? Or what does he mean by he taught patience? I think probably I'm very, as long as someone is putting the work in, I'm very patient with people because seeing the light, the light flash in their eyes when something clicks is one of the greatest feelings imaginable. And also probably for him, I think being patient with himself, like taking the time to, to really hone in on certain things and not having to rush through things and, and just be like, I'm going to put the work in and I'm going to take the time so all this stuff happens the way it should happen. And, and you have to be patient with that or else it's never going to manifest itself. Or with something that's as physical as drumming. Mm-hmm. Right? If, if you rush it and your technique is not biomechanically... <laughs> <laughs> suitable for a human, yeah, uh, human body. Then, well, that's uh, what I was. That's what I was saying earlier. Yeah. Is, is 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 it's inherently an issue of the drum set as an instrument. In that, the way the drum set was formed initially around the turn of the century was uh, it was called a, a trap kit because it was short for contraption. <laughs> uh, so, like you think of these dudes around you know late eighteen hundreds, nineteen hundreds, taking disparate. Uh, concert percussion instruments like a bass drum by itself and a snare drum and then we had, they had to make a pedal to use the bass drum and the hi-hats were, were originally called low boys because they were on the floor and you only played them with your foot you didn't play them with your... so it's evolved in this really bizarre strange way so it's physically 
strange. Yeah. Uh, but also the bar is incredibly low in terms of uh, entry. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy to play drums in the beginning. You sit down and go, doot, dat, doot, dat, doot, dat, doot, dat. And they're like, oh, I can play drums. I can do this. I can play along to ACDC and Michael Jackson. And like, this is great. And so no one thinks about how anything functions because yeah. they can already do it. And then they go on tour. And then 10 years later, they're like, oh, my arms are destroyed. Yeah. Or my hip is just sort of my back. Uh, because they're they're doing everything inefficiently or incorrectly, and then also they they get stuck as far as the vocabulary goes because they can't express themselves properly because they're in their own way. Yeah. So it's a lot of it is inherently part of the instrument uh, itself, and I always use like violin as an example. Like you have to sit there for six months just getting your intonation happening. Or or saxophone, you have to get your embouchure together. Your what? Embouchure. Embouchure. Yeah. What is so that? How it's like basically like throat control, like how you how you produce uh, air pressure. Yeah. And that takes a while. You know, you start learning clarinet, or so you're squawking all over the place. You have yeah. to develop that control, and you can't just sit down and just make a sound. You right. have to. There's a certain amount of gestation with the drums. Yeah, you can get the reward without having to develop. Immediately. That body control. Exactly. And that's the problem. But that's part of the, the instrument. You know, what I was going to say earlier, when we were talking about the being able to, to do many different, wear many different hats, do many different things, be deliberate about what you're doing. I, had a, I was talking to a friend about this, and he was like, yeah, what, you know, if, you, if your identity is, is largely based on what you do for a living, whatever it is. What if you wake up one day and you don't want to do that thing? And then you're like, who am I? Yeah. And that's a mind fuck. Very common. Yeah. Super, super common. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think having... For people who say, like, try to retire, and then they're like, oh, wait, I've spent 12 hours a day for the last 30 years doing X. And then you have a whole other black hole where if you're a very important person and you, and you get a lot of respect and then you retire, you're just some guy. Yeah. And that's a whole other thing to deal with. Yeah. And then what are you going to do with with your, with your life when you just wake up and you're going to play golf all day? You know, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Huh. What would you put on a billboard? If you could put metaphorically, right? A message, a few words, a word, anything on a billboard to get it out to millions of people. He's holding this t-shirt. Slow, <laughs> slow down. Yeah. 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 Slow down. It's because generally speaking, so many people need to do that. Slow down, take a deep breath. Yeah. Just relax. <laughs> yeah. You can also cover up or hide a lot of your own mistakes and sloppiness from yourself by doing things too quickly. Absolutely. That's very yeah. common in, in music. Yeah. Very common in music. It's very common in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I watch really good, say, boxing instructors, they're mm. always like, slow down uh, in the beginning, certainly. Sure. Just like, look, yeah, anybody can flail their arms around so that nobody can see what you're doing exactly. Like, yep. I want to see exactly what you're doing really slowly in the beginning. And uh, it, it also brings to mind one of my uh, favorite expressions I've learned in the last few years, which was from a, a friend of mine who's a former Navy SEAL. And uh, it's not specific to him. It's something that you hear quite a lot, but it is slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Mm, yeah. It's just like, I like do that. not rush. Cause if you try to like rush a reload or rush, whatever it might be, and you botch it, 
Now you're really slow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you're slower than, than you would be even before. Yeah. 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 Like, yes. Well, it's, that, it's the same, like the weights can shit in the smaller yeah. circles. Yeah. To learn things in large movements or whatever you want to think about this in yeah. whatever paradigm you want to think about this in. And then as you get more comfortable with it, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. And then you're just throw someone across the room. (laughs) (laughs) And for those people wondering, that's Josh Waitzkin, who is a fantastic guy, good friend of mine, who's thought of, or he is the basis for the book and the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer. Really a master in many, many disciplines, but um, that's one of of his concepts for sure. I tell everyone I teach to get that book. Yeah, The Art of Learning is a fantastic book. Uh, He was the second ever guest on this podcast yep and uh a lot of great concepts um also for people interested did a did a, a television episode with him where we looked at brazilian jiu-jitsu which he's a black belt in cool among other things uh that was the first time for that tv show that he got on in front of a chessboard and i think i want to say 15 years something like that his wife said i cannot believe that he's getting in front of a chessboard i've never Maybe never seen him do it. That thing in the episode where he talks about playing like 50 chess games at the the same time. Yeah, the simultaneous games. Yeah, and talking about feeling the flow of energy in the room, and then he felt like a shift. Yeah, he felt like he'd been juggling 30 balls, and one of them got dropped because he was playing, uh, it was something like 30 kids, and one of them cheated. Yes. And he came back around, and he didn't know exactly what had happened, but he's like, this doesn't feel right. And that's sounds like spooky yeah. shit. That's a real thing. Yeah. I, I was, uh, that was so, that episode was so affirming and exciting for me Yeah, because he, he said a lot of things where I was like, Oh, I am doing this right. Yeah. I'm on the right path. Cause there were so many things that we did similarly. It's this, it's the, uh, the, the transfer is so, mm. it's so clear. Huge. Uh, which is part, part, part of the fun. It's a big part of the fun of, having this podcast for me is interviewing people across disciplines that at first glance you would expect to have nothing to do with one another. And you just realize that people who are playing their a game in any field Mm -hmm. have more in common with one another than they do with the B players in their own field. That's one of my favorite things to do with Burr is we sit down and talk about comedy and drumming and the massive amounts of overlap between the two. Yeah. Like when we first started working together, he had uh, basically like a John Bonham, Led Zeppelin, almost like a replica kit. It's like a huge Bonham fan. And everyone who plays drums is like a John Bonham fan. He's incredible. And it very spe- he's a very specific sound. So he got this early 70s Green Sparkle Ludwig kit, giant 26-inch bass drum. Like it's a whole, it's a thing. Yeah. It's a very specific thing. And we're working together and we're talking about identity and what he wants to say and who he wants to be and getting his posture together. And, and I was like, dude, you wouldn't walk out on stage and start yelling like Sam Kinison. That's his thing. You do your own thing. You walk out on, on stage in in front of whatever, 12,000 people, Madison square garden, you're doing your own thing. Yeah. Like bring that to this. And he sold the kit. Immediately got got his own thing. He's figuring out what his own thing is. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, and that's so much fun for me to, to do. Uh, you know, and he's one of the smartest dudes I, I know. I mean, he's brilliant. He's a very smart guy. Yeah. Yeah. You have, uh, I think within, within any field, certainly you have certain philosophical underpinnings or paradigms that people choose as like the foundation 
for a lot of their decisions and career path and so on. Then you have the strategies and you have the tactics and the, the lower level you go in some respects, the more the fields diverge, Mm -hmm. but certainly at the higher levels, whether it's tennis, comedy, drumming, or otherwise, there's so many, so many commonalities. Yep. What is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? Uh, that I love. Yeah, you know, I'll give you an example. Yeah. Or, or just a compulsion. So, for instance, uh, Cheryl Strayed, who wrote the book Wild, and uh, excellent uh, author, also fantastic podcast host. Uh, the example she gave was she likes to reassemble sandwiches. So <laughs> when she gets a sandwich... It bothers her if, like, all the tomatoes on one side of the sandwich and the avocados on the other. She wants every bite to be as uniform as possible, so she like <laughs> reassemble her sandwich. Uh, I like the number five fifty five because I finished editing the final line and the final pass of the Four Hour Body in a samovar tea shop in San Francisco ages ago, and looked up and it was five fifty five p.m. So that became this kind of good luck charm. So I take mm. screenshots of that whenever it pops up. Mm. Uh, so it could be anything. Uh, it's funny. I think to be good at anything, you need to have a touch of OCD. Yeah. Absolutely. You have to be detail-oriented. And I do have those things, but I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head other than, like, checking the stove ten times when I'm leaving the house <laughs> and, like, you know, checking my studio door four times to make sure it's locked. I can't, like, think of anything weirdly uh, specific like that at the moment. No problem. Yeah. I'm sure there there's there are depths to plumb there that yeah. we can return to. Yeah. Uh, how often do you eat Indian or <laughs> Himalayan food with some type of curry type <laughs> consistency? Every day, pretty much. I mean, that's why I go to the gym six days a week. Cause I have to work off all the, all the clarified butter. <laughs> all right. I'll leave that. That may qualify. Uh, when you feel, actually, I'm not going to ask that one. Let me uh, <laughs> let me go somewhere else. Sure. See, one one thing that's come up in our conversations recently because I've I've never worked with a therapist, mm-hmm. and I've listened to interviews you've done where you've mentioned therapy and your therapist, and I've always had I think a certain degree of resistance, particularly to talk therapy, mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of reasons I won't bore everybody with, and. Uh, I'd like to talk about that because it seems like you've benefited tremendously from it. So why, if you're comfortable talking about sure. it, why did you end up engaging a therapist and what have been, how did you, how did you choose your therapist and what have been the, some of the benefits that you've derived sure. from it so far? Yeah. Uh, I initially, because you, sorry, yeah. I'll just, really continue to step all over your answers. It's all good. Uh, you, as well as a few other people, when I have mentioned that I've not worked with a therapist, are just like, what in the fuck? Are you serious? Especially you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, really? Uh-huh. Like, okay, maybe this is something I should explore. So yeah, absolutely. This, and this has come up multiple times for multiple people. Uh, so, yeah. your story. Yeah. So, I started seeing a therapist around th- when I was thir- 30-ish, something like that. Uh, and it was mainly to 
figure out sort of like relationship issues that kept happening over and over and over again. And I was like, there's clearly something here that's a blind spot to me and I don't know what I'm doing. I need to figure this out. That was the sort of specific reason why I started going. And I found my therapist through a really close friend of mine who is a therapist and we obviously can't work together because she's a close friend of mine. So she was like, you should see this person. She's incredible. And seeing it, working with a therapist, having, having a good relationship with someone where you can really trust them and you care about each other and, and, and it clicks. That is unbelievably important. Uh, you know, there are so many bad drum teachers out there and there are so many bad therapists out there. And, uh, it's, it's, can be extremely damaging to someone. So having a good, good therapist who you get along with and connect with, and who's very competent, like that's why I picked someone who was, I mean, we, we hit it off and it was obvious, but she's 80. Yeah. And it's like, it's like these, all these life coaches running around who are like 25. It's like, the fuck do you know? You don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> so having a therapist who, where I can bring up anything and she's like, yep, been there. Right, right. That's huge. Yeah. And so it started off with the relationship stuff and then it obviously shoots off in all these other different directions. And even just having someone to go in and dump on and just like brain vomit who's only there to help you out, help you sort th- things out, the world would be a completely different place if everyone had that, had that a safe outlet. Yeah, to just unload. What what are some of the ingredients for success, say, in the beginning? Would you say that it's it was important to you to, say, meet every week for a certain period of time, given how much you could potentially travel, right? Sure. Like, what were what were some of the things that made it work? Well, it's the same thing with, with drumming. I'm like, hey, look, if you're serious about this, we got to do this once a week. Because it's like going to the gym. You don't go two days a week for four hours. Right. You go once a week for or every day you go every day for an hour or something. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, is you gra- you, you have consistency. That's crucial. And you're able to make progress because it's a, it's a recurring dialogue you're, you're having with someone. And so I went once a week for years and when things got particularly messy, I would sometimes go twice a week. And there were times when she really saved, saved my life. Like, uh, dealing with PTSD or, you know, you literally feel like you're going to die. Yeah. Uh, so, and now I go once a month mm-hmm. and sort of check in. And what's funny, we were talking about this last night, the times when I'm like, yeah, everything's kind of cool. Like, I think I'm, I don't even really need to go today. It, those are the times when you stumble into some massive paradigm shift. And it literally is a, it's a paradigm shift. You see the world in a completely different way. And a lot of the times when that happens, it's funny. I'll just be talking out loud, like thinking, but verbalizing it. And you sort of uh, get on a path and then you're like, boom, and something happens. And you're, you're just like, holy shit, like, where did that come from? Yeah. Uh, it's almost like an out of body experience. So a lot of it is, is, is trying to get outside of yourself and which is extremely difficult and thinking about, well, is this, is this aspect of my personality? Is this learned from my parents or, or someone, some, someone else, or is this part of me? And a lot of 
things that I didn't know I was even doing are learned things that can be unlearned. It might take a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. It's the hardest thing I've, I've ever done, but I'm a completely different person, like a very specific example. That's like something small. If I'm at the gym and someone re-racks their weights improperly, it drives me fucking bananas. <laughs> it drives me crazy. Like if they take the, the, the 25s and, and put they, it on the 35. Oh my God. It drives me crazy. And it's like, this could not be more black and white. Like how to like, how is that acceptable? Yeah. yeah. And then that fucks up the flow for everyone else. So yeah. like, so, you know, and one day she was like, well, you know, they didn't see that you were wearing your invisible police uniform. <laughs> they just didn't see it and i was like and i start laughing and i'm like oh my god you're totally right like i'm feeling this need to police everyone and 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 it's obviously a need for control yeah right uh which is a learned thing yeah and that's something that i constantly have to check myself uh, about you know and uh and and if you and and that that'll take you out yeah because there's so many so many things like that oh, sure. on the daily i mean yeah hundreds thousands yeah right? that'll and they're everywhere why does this guy not know how to use his chip reader on his <laughs> co- <laughs> Yeah, or like, why did you park like an asshole? (laughs) It's mostly like people being inconsiderate that drives me crazy. I have one friend. I'm not sure he'd want to be named uh, explicitly, so I won't mention his name. He's he's a very, very um, brilliant guy in his field. And uh, when he goes through TSA and airport Mm. security, it drives him completely fucking (laughs) bananas when people don't know how to go through security. (laughs) And they'll leave their belt on or totally. they'll have like a huge container of water after the person has asked them four times if they have any liquids. Yeah. So what he started to do, he's, he's been also uh, very recently seeing a therapist and has figured out certain coping mechanisms. And so one of his coping mechanisms, which I think <laughs> is really hilarious, is he will he will say something like, he, he will he will become the voice that he imagines they have ah. that, that is 30 feet away. So he'll go, what do you mean I can't take water on the airplane? Last time I was here, I could bring my computer through the metal detector. And he'll do this. And so I remember asking him at one point, I was like, oh, that's really funny. So that's what you say to yourself. He's like, no, that's what I say out loud. And he says, I say it loud enough so that everybody around me can hear Whoa. it. <laughs> And people start laughing and like chill the fuck out. Oh, uh, it's a way he, to diffuse it. I think he just did it initially because he thought it was hilarious and uncomfortable to say it out loud. Uh-huh. But now he's become like the stand-up <laughs> comedian at the back of the line. Uh, and I now know at least a half a dozen people have spent time with him uh-huh. who now do the same thing. <laughs> That's <in line>. hilarious. <laughs> but it's the little things that are the big things, right? Well, and it's and it's also like. Why would you, it's also for like TSA employees drive me bananas. I travel a lot and a lot of them are totally incompetent. So, but it's like going to anything where you have to deal with someone in that type of a job. Yeah. You go, wait, why would this person be competent? Yeah. A competent person wouldn't have this job in the first place. So why am I expecting that to begin with? I'm setting myself up to get angry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's this, it's the small things. Uh, we, we think about, 
these big existential dilemmas and questions, but <laughs> it's in so many cases that stuff is important or it can be important, but it's also like, are you giving yourself like a hundred pats on the back in your day? Or are you giving yourself a hundred paper cuts? Because you've, you have ample opportunity for both. And, and you, and you know, what we're talking about might sound trivial, but you stack all of those things up and they'll take you out. Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, we will at some point, maybe tonight over some wine, come back to more unusual and absurd things <laughs> that you love because I'm sure there is a treasure trove. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one or two last questions. You've mentioned a few books here that you gifted to me, which are very, very timely, but are, are there any particular books that you've given the most as gifts to other people? The Andre Agassi open book is phenomenal. Incredible book. Even if you don't care about tennis at all, it is an incredible book. I tweeted years ago. I I was like, Hey, does anyone know any good sports psychology books? Like directly related to tennis or golf? Because I was really fascinated with those. Even I don't really give a shit about sports really. Um, But I was really fascinated because this, this psychological, warfare you have to navigate by yourself is the same as when the red lights on in the studio I have to do these film scores where you have to sight read everything you've never seen it before they throw up a book sight reading is you've never played it you've never seen the music before they throw up the sheet music and you have to replay it perfectly the first time because you have to do the whole movie in a day jesus right so it's very very stressful so it's the same it's the same including am- films like Trolls, The Book of Love, others. Logan, that Wolverine movie. Oh, so good. Yeah. Um, that St. Vincent movie with Bill Murray uh, a few years ago, That all the divergent, insurgent. But like same, 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 but different, right? In terms of the sports, the tennis, the golf. Yeah. Like when you hit the ball in the sand and you're like, fuck, yeah. and you can't, and you have to go just leave it be and you have to, you can't let that ruin the whole game. Yeah. Same sort of thing when the red lights on in the studio or when you're on playing in front of 30,000 people, it's the same. You screw something up. You can't be like, Oh, and, and let, let it screw up the whole show. It's the same exact thing. And I thought that was fascinating. So was the Agassi book recommended as a result of that? Yeah. You put up? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was like, Oh my God, this is incredible. It's so a I, tremendous book. I give that to people all the time. Uh, the art of learning. I give to people all the time. Josh Waitzkin. Yep. Um, I give the, the inner game of tennis. Uh, um, I give Zen in the art of archery to people yeah. all the time. I feel like that was the very first book that spawned all of these Zen in the art of film blank. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Just so popular now. Um, God, I need to look at my bookcase. There's so many. Horton, here's a who. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least. Uh, there's so many. Uh, you are uh, one of the best read people I've met uh, in the last, I would say, five years, which is saying a lot. Yeah, I meet, a, I meet a lot of people who read very widely. And this has been so much fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. we, we could go on for many, many more hours. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll do that at some point, but where are some of the best places for people to find you? We talked about Dave mm-hmm. Instagram, Twitter at Dave Elitch. There are other social profiles I'm sure, but it seems like maybe those are the best. 
the online course, which is is really stunningly shot and very well done, getting out of your own way. That's available at davielish.com. Yeah. Uh, any other places where where people can find you that you'd like them to pay attention to, or any other uh, recommendations or asks of the audience, people who are listening? Well, the easiest place to find me is Instagram, just Dave Elich, uh, or my website. You can contact me through my website. I'm not super active on Twitter or Facebook anymore. Um, you know, someone else who I, a lot of books I recommend are, uh, Douglas Copeland's mm-hmm. books. He wrote generation X coined Copeland, the term. C-O-U-P. LAN. Yeah, he's also he's also an equally amazing visual artist, which is incredibly rare. Uh, I find a ton of inspiration from from him. He's 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 great. So I, I recommend a lot of his books. Generation X is is great, like social commentary from like the early nineties. And he coined that term. Yeah, Generation X mm-hmm. is an interesting sort of social uh, uh, tech theorist. Mm-hmm. I think he I think he has a job at Google now. Very well could. Yeah, they, he's they an, tend to gather interesting eclectic folks. Yeah, he's an interesting dude. Um, so yeah, uh, those are the those are the two best places to contact me. My website or Instagram. And if any, you know, if anyone hears this and there's sort of kindred spirits in terms of uh, what motivates us or or in terms of any sort of creative endeavor, reach out and say hey. Lob out a note or a hand wave through the ether. Yeah, that is the interwebs. Hmm. Dave, so awesome to finally get you on. Yeah, same, and, same, dude. Uh, many, many adventures ahead. I'm excited for you. I'm hoping to pop in to the master class tomorrow, which I will be completely unqualified for, but nonetheless, <laughs> as a fly on the wall. Awesome. Uh, I, I really look forward to that. And uh, you know, before I was before I forget, daughters of Mara. Yeah. Is that is Mara. I've never thought to ask this, but is that a reference to the what is it? Hindu god? No. Uh, I can't. I think it's Bo- I think it's Buddha. Buddhist. Yeah, it's Buddhist. Yeah, yeah. Mara, who's sort of the equivalent of the devil the devil yeah so we had three daughters uh that would sort of tempt people sort of like the 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 snake in the garden of eden that equivalent daughters of mara yeah that was a band i was in in 2005 six, seven that was on uh, virgin capital records and did a record and then emi got bought out by terra firma and uh and that was that i am destroyer appropriate yeah <laughs> Very relevant. <laughs> Little did we know. Dave Smash. <laughs> all right. Everybody listening, as always, you can find links to all the things we talked about, including, say, the crazy Mars Volta video. <laughs> and uh, we will also look up a few other things, like the the uh, books that, in addition to the Pia Melody book, the other books, perhaps, some of the books yeah. that your therapist has on sure. her mantle and uh, the mankind existential animal quote question mark etc <laughs> will all be in the show notes uh, you can also find links certainly to getting out of your own way and everything related to Dave at tim.blog forward slash podcast and until next time thank you for listening hey guys this is Tim again just a few more things before you take off number one this is five bullet Friday do you want to get a short email from me? Would you enjoy getting a short email from me every Friday that provides a little morsel of fun before the weekend? And Five Bullet Friday is a very short email where I share 
the coolest things I've found or that I've been pondering over the week. That could include favorite new albums that I've discovered. It could include gizmos and gadgets and all sorts of weird shit that I've somehow dug up in the uh, the world of the esoteric as I do. It could include favorite articles that I've read and that I've shared with my close friends, for instance. And it's very short. It's just a little tiny bite of goodness before you head off for the weekend. So if you want to receive that, check it out. Just go to fourhourworkweek.com. That's fourhourworkweek.com all spelled out and just drop in your email and you will get the very next one. And if you sign up, I hope you enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible provides an unbeatable selection of audiobooks, including bestsellers, how-to, mysteries, thrillers, memoirs, and more. I've used Audible for many years, and I have a few audiobooks to recommend right off the bat. Number one, Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. So listen to the book that caught the attention of Spielberg enough to get made into a major film. The writing is fantastic. Tau Seneca by Seneca the Younger. This is a collection of letters, my favorite compilation of letters of all time that I've recommended the most of all the books I've ever read. And The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman. This is the fiction book that I use to convert nonfiction purists into fiction lovers. I like the version that Neil reads himself, but that's just me. He has a hypnotic voice. I also recently enjoyed Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg, which was recommended to me by best-selling author Neil Strauss. Make sure to get the audiobook version, and you will recognize it by the peace sign on the cover. And as an Audible subscriber, you can choose three titles every month, one audiobook and two Audible originals you can't hear anywhere else. And there's some really, really cool stuff among the Audible originals. You can listen on any device, anytime, anywhere, at home, at the gym, while you're cooking, on your commute or wherever. I often listen to audiobooks when I'm walking my pooch or on the way to the gym, so on and so forth. You'll also enjoy easy audiobook exchanges. In other words, if you don't like what you buy and you're like, ah, buyer's remorse, you can swap it. Rollover credits. So if you don't use credits in a given month, they roll over into the next. And an audiobook library you keep forever, even if you cancel. This last part is important. Unlike, say, a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you own your books, even if you cancel your membership. And right now, for a limited time, you can get three months of Audible for just $6.95 a month. That's $6.95 a month. And that is also more than half off the regular price. So give yourself the gift of listening. And while you're at it, think about giving the gift of Audible to someone on your list. For more, go to audible.com forward slash Tim, T-I-M that is, audible.com forward slash Tim, or text Tim, T-I-M, to 500-500. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks has become the go-to cloud accounting software for literally millions of small business owners who found a faster, more efficient, and much less stressful way to deal with their numbers. And ultimately, this helps you to focus on what you are best at. It is used by many of the fastest growing startups I've invested in or advise, and it's equally used by many of the best freelancers I work with on a daily or weekly basis. It is one of the easiest ways to send invoices, get paid, track your time, and track your clients. If you're self-employed and managing business sometimes means wrestling with spreadsheets, crumpled receipts, and other scattered pieces, FreshBooks can really help. FreshBooks allows you to do many, many different things very easily. Preparing and sending a polished branded invoice takes about 30 seconds. You can set yourself up to receive online payments from your clients in about two clicks, which on average will get you paid twice as fast. Their new proposals feature means you can include a project summary and timeline as part of your estimate. There are many, many other things. Tracking your time, 
the quick proposals that I mentioned, formatting free, super easy, late payment reminders so you don't have to chase people, automated expenses, sharing files and messages with your clients, award-winning customer service. They are extremely responsive, the interface is super intuitive, and there's almost no learning curve. So, in short, it's easy, it saves you time. And right now, FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for all of my listeners. To claim yours, check it out. Go to freshbooks.com forward slash Tim and enter Tim Ferriss in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And that is funky spell T-I-M-F-E-R-R-I-S-S. So again, go to freshbooks.com forward slash Tim and enter Tim Ferriss in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Check it out.